Hey people, I'm sitting here trying to come up with a really clever line, and so taking way too long to do so, welcome to the best radio show on YouTube that you never heard about unless you're a Lutheran, because Lutherans were not good at sharing until now or something like that, but just, just stick around. Hey, Internet, good morning, universe, welcome to the Mad Christian Conversation. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That means that you are paid for. Because of that, that makes you immortal now, and he... King of Kings, Lord of Lords, is not going to be long now anyway in fulfilling by sight what he's already guaranteed to you by faith, which is that the water of baptism seals you into his death and resurrection, guaranteeing that you're part of his body, which you feast upon in the Lord's Supper, and that that is what Christianity is. That's the definition of the church. And so if we want to stand in this evil age, well, we're going to believe that. I'm going to tell it to you. Well, because I'm, I'm your online fool. The Mad Christian. Here's the set. Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. And today we got all sorts of, well, crazy, of course, your questions and then my weird coming back from the other side. Um, here, here's one that has just been congealing so much in my head. And I'm glad I just, the last one I wrote down right before we went live here. I listened to too much gossip. I realized this week, just in general, as a pastor, I, I let it go on sometimes. Like I hear a story. And I'm like, ooh, and I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't, don't want to, you know, get critic anybody who had conversation with me, with me this week. Like you're absolved in my mind. I'm talking about me right now, right? And and I listen too much. I listen with too much of an ear, and and then I realize again. Okay, so where where's the real biblical terminology for this? I mean, gossip's in the Bible, but not really as a term. But proverbially, again. The way the Proverbs speak about it is, is the story from far away, I think. You know, the fool, his eyes are on the ends of the earth. And so the story that he can't see, but wants to believe in and hear about to tickle his heart, that's what he chases. And, you know, we live in a civilization that's built on selling you that. So don't feel too bad if you had a little bit of it in your life, but I'm here to help you maybe realize you don't want much more at this point. Yeah. So how's this one then? Spirituality and psychology are actually the same thing. And and this makes a lot of sense when you let the word psychology mean what it means in Greek as the word psychology, which is soul words. <laughs> soul words. Uh, like like spirituality, right? Soul words. It's kind of the same idea. And so, well, how's this? Psychology then is inherently and unavoidably religious. Uh, all psychology. And it's run amok with all sorts of like, what, from Kinsey to Freud across Western Civ in the name of empirical atheism as if it's not religious. Just again this week, I saw, guys, on Twitter, I just can't believe how ignorant people are. I, you know, this this tweet shouting at the world that Christianity is the cause of all the violence. Are you kidding me? You pompous fool. Open your eyes and read a book from before internet. Goodness gracious. Abortion? Abortion. Anyway. I mean, let's, let's, let's leave abortion to the side. You know, the mass murder of a third of humanity over the last 50 years give or take, as our American numbers. Let's just set that aside and pretend that doesn't count as the violence. Let's look at like the gulags for a while. Right? Let's look at what Nazism did, because that, that was not Christianity. you got to be kidding me. Goodness. And, and I don't want to believe that they're setting us up for something like, like, like to kill us. Not because I don't, I'm not, not because I'm not willing to think through what martyrdom means. I'll think that through. But I really hope that when they kill us, it's not out of sheer ignorance. I'd like them to kill us for what we're actually doing and saying. I don't want to be killed because they think I'm going to do violence. I'm not going to do violence against you. I'm here to tell you Jesus has risen from the dead. And this is the world you're supposed to have like a healthy mind in, right? 
you're supposed to be able to walk through this and just feel good and, and come in at the end of the day and be glad to see your family and, and eat some food and go to bed and look forward to tomorrow, right? Like uh, well, the reason is because the story from far away again. Yeah. You let it in. And the psychology of the present age, the spirituality of the zeitgeist that is preaching right now in every story, on every medium, through the tentacle arm of Skynet, is unavoidably religious. And Christians should really think that through. I'm not going to tell you, you know, what that means in every context. I've read 1 Corinthians a few times now. And I'm pretty confident, i got to put this aside so I don't can bring it back to it again, throw it over there. Um, I'm pretty confident that there's something in there about hair length that has something to do with where you are, you might be signaling something that you wouldn't signal in any other society or culture ever. And and particularly, I believe this had to do with prostitution in the Corinthian town and and a bunch of other things. I mean, you got other issues with that congregation. But the idea here is that there's a time where you have to like look as a Christian, not check your brain at the door. It's amazing. People accuse me of like telling people to check their brain at the door. I, I don't know how that comes about. Anyway, you have to use your brain. You have to go into church with your brain. You have to use your brain in church. You have to walk out and then like discern whether or not the next thing you're going to do is like a terrible evil that everybody's doing. That's ah, fine. Let's do some, let's do some rock and evil today. Right. And, and, and it's religious. Only the language is purely non-religious. Like the, the trick the devil pulled is convincing the world that he doesn't exist. And Kaiser Soze also does not exist. Or actually does not exist. It is the devil who does exist. And, and what he's convinced us is that all these words of secularism are not a religion. And if you look, it's a pretty powerful one. <laughs> it's got a lot of people like wearing masks alone. In, I've, yeah, yeah. So, you know what I'm saying, right? Um, oh, goodness gracious. Speaking of wearing masks, here's this one. This is some, oops, this is some, are we still here? I just hit a button. Please still be online. Uh, this is a, uh, a bit of wisdom from my beloved. She does spout wisdom from time to time. She reads wisdom a lot in the Bible. And so it comes out of her. And this is just just such so congealed reality. It's not like this is a quote from the Bible. But we were talking about uh, child care one time, uh, her and I, just just together. You know, we we do discuss parenting. Uh, It's a good idea in the home uh, between parents. And sometimes in front of kids, sometimes not. Like, all that's good, right? Have the conversation. Uh, And we were talking about, like, people will come up to us and, and laud the behavior of our children. They'll be like, wow, your kids are so good. And we're like, thank you. Um, we're in public right now. And yeah, in public, they're they're pretty amazing, frankly. Um, and at home, we love them terribly. Uh, you may not realize what is about to happen over there where one of them is trying to kill the other, but that's okay. That's okay, right? But they, then they ask like, like, how do we do this, right? It's like some magic where there's these mystical, magical parents who just have these good kids accidentally. And, and you know, not giving ourselves the credit for this, uh, Meredith said, you get what you're willing to put up with. Ponder that for a moment, because it has application like everywhere in life. And there's there's a way to look at this as a Christian, too, and realize that deciding what you're willing to put up with as a Christian is an important personal decision to make at some point in your life. Or right? this isn't like I'm gonna give my life to Jesus, so now I know I'm saved, right? Like that's nonsense. What this is is though, like today is not three weeks ago or seven years ago, and I need to know what the Bible says because of this reason right here, so that I can know what I'll put up with out there. So I can know what I can be confident about out there. So I can know where my conscience can be free. Huh? And then, you know, go apply that to parenting. And really, I mean 
<laughs> you can look at it this way too. We were just talking about cleaning our bathroom, and my beloved does most of the cleaning of the bathroom, and most it should be like all actually. And God be praised for this gift to me, because I am a poor, miserable sinner who is so in- incompetent that I once had a landlady, my landlady, cleaning my bathroom for me because I just didn't even realize you needed to do it. Right? Like that's that's how unaware I was. And I knew a little more by the time I married my wife, but she's like, uh, like likes a clean bathroom, right? So she just jumps in and does it. Uh, but again, here's the principle, right? What happened to our bathrooms? Is it because I'm a good person or a bad person that I do or do not clean the bathroom? Like is, is, is my actual, uh, what, uh, cleanliness, my hygiene, my American hygiene standards, is that the test of my righteousness at the end of the day, uh, in my own conscience? Well, that's a really bad false religion. I should catch that one and try not to believe that anymore and instead realize it's just about hygiene at the end of the day, right? Um, and you get what you're willing to put up with. Um, I, uh, I married a woman who uh, puts up with far less dirt than I do, and I have the blessed reality of then having someone who, who does, in fact, lead the charge of cleaning the home while I do other things, like talk on the internet to people who find that interesting. You are, <laughs> you get what you are willing to endure. It's, it's a good thought. Uh, biblically, it's kind of like the law exists and it's going to pressure you whether or not you know it, whether it's a false law or a true law, whether it's a law you've made up for yourself to follow to feel good or whether or not it's the one from God himself. Uh, you have a limit and knowing that limit and then Pushing that limit so it, it actually lines up with the scriptures as opposed to your opinions, right? That can really help have the lines fall, as as uh, the Old Testament says, in pleasant places for you. Uh, without it having to be, I just had this conversation and kind of in my earshot yesterday, you know, the preaching of uh, uh, health and wealth and the claiming of prosperity by the promises that I apply to myself. Like, that's, that's really magic, guys. You shouldn't be teaching that. You shouldn't be doing that. That's not prayer, and you might get really awfully punished for that kind of demonic nonsense. But at the same time, you must believe that all the Old Testament promises are yes in Jesus Christ for you, according to the New Testament's explanation of that, which is more or less that washed in his name, you will rise from the dead. So live like those who know what that means. Fathers, mothers, families, fathers, mothers, families, uh, uh, leaders of the community and those who are subservient to the community. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty basic stuff. I had a, this wisdom fell out of one of my layman's mouth the other day, too. It just, it just, it didn't shame me, but it humbled me to hear him, him say, you know, well, this Bible verse is pretty clear to me, Pastor. I don't know. It seems most of the Bible, if you just kind of look at it, it says what it means. And, <laughs> and it was something that I had to go look up. And, and I was like, oh my goodness, that was such a kind thing he said to me because it was about pastors and c- taking care of your pastors. Um, so, uh, yes, in Jesus, the promises come forward to the Christian church, and we must be able to name them and claim them in the name of Jesus himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by the power of baptismal regeneration, guaranteed you as a deposit of the Holy Spirit, of the life of the world to come that is achieved by faith alone, that largely is going to embrace suffering as the gift you get. That would not be the prosperity gospel, but that would be the results of the actual gospel, which is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, you're paid for, and all of that kind of stuff, right? So speaking of yes, I got to get to this one. Oh my goodness, I cannot even. I This world, mad Christian. I'm not mad. They're mad. They're totally mad. Water time. Oh, can I do a five seconds? No. Oh, where did I, I moved everything today. Five seconds. Hey, if the, if the levels on the volume of my voice and the music are better, 
uh, let me know if you can, or uh, maybe let uh, Frisbee know if you can reach her. We had that issue where, for some of you, the levels of the music and my voice, when we go to break, it, it creates a real problem. If you're listening on the audio that, that Brian uh, uh, edits for us, um, you, you don't have in that problem. Uh, but, but that is a problem for some on YouTube. And again, I, I'm trying to work with that. I learned this morning that somehow... Ecamm, which is a great software again on every level, it bypasses my actual soundboard that is external to, <laughs> to my to my computer, so that when I like turn the volume on my mic, so I can't hear my own mic through the soundboard I'm using, it's still sending to Ecamm. I I don't know how to diagnose that one yet, but it's there. I just found it, and that's why I like the sound stuff for the music when we're doing it at the same time. That's a lot of where I think the worst of that problem came from. Anyway, what I wanted to come back and talk about was uh, <laughs> two things. That I saw in the news or heard in the news in this last week. And again, this is this a gossip show? Is that what this is? Is it a Christian gossip show? Um, I'm going to have to repent. Goodness. So my wife, listening to Pandora, because it's free music, right? In theory, sort of. And <laughs> she has a station that is just her like relaxation station. So like when she has a bath, you know, she puts on like the, the studio music or whatever, right? And uh, but the advertisement that came on was from Netflix. Okay, well, that's, that's something everyone can like resonate with. We all know that Netflix exists as a superpower internationally, global corporation telling nations what to do that just kind of came out of nowhere in the last 10, 12 years. C- clearly, they will know how to do it well. Yeah, obviously, they'll have great ideas. I mean, why not? Why wouldn't sheer sudden power given to 30-year-olds? When has that ever gone wrong in history? Uh, yeah, so anyway, um, <laughs> they're promoting... They're promoting something called Yes Day, I guess. Have you heard of this? It's a show. Hopefully it'll flop and you don't. But I just want to, I want to again, like give you the hatred, the absolute hatred for fatherhood that exists in our society through this nonsense of an idea called Yes Day. So Yes Day that you can sign up and participate with as part of Netflix's what? Um, 1984, we have friends on the wall life. Um, <laughs> I guess that's more real than as a COVID scare comes back into my head that that's more real than I realized. Um, but the idea here is that, that there's a day called yes day. And on yes day, um, all the parents have to say yes to whatever the kids ask for, which is fascinating. Cause I already know many people who have taken on a philosophy that you should not say no to a child and they try this and I don't know, it never goes well. I see the kids like always not understanding that there are boundaries in the world and it, it causes problems. I think most of them finally give up around age five, but by then a lot of the damage is done. But now this is going to apply this. Let's just do this every year to all kids. So it's like Christmas, Halloween, and like like Easter, they don't get much. So they probably don't care about that. So it's like Christmas and Halloween and maybe Fourth of July since whatever we ask for. I mean, can we... <laughs> Can we ask for Trump to be president? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I did not mean to say that. I am, I am a, a, a never Trumper againer. I am a never Trumper againer. So do not come after me, ye Antifa. But yesterday remains a bad idea. The idea that you as a parent would take on this notion that all day we wake up and all day whatever my subjugate, whatever the the infantile fool that my father in heaven has given me to raise and prevent from killing himself or herself until they're old enough to not kill or hurt themselves and others and safely provide food for themselves and the babies they will eventually make, right? I'm now going to go under and do whatever this fool says, no matter what age they are, once a year. You think this is going to go well as a corporate civilization? You, so, so my response to my wife right away was, I'm, I'm, I said this, this is going to hurt. This is me as a fool talking. Okay. So, uh, uh, 
I said, thankfully, by the time that this generation of idiots is able to like be the masculine males that would go and try to just dominate others out of sheer ignorant rage and hunger for their own bellies to be fulfilled in a world without no. Thankfully, by then, most of my countrymen will be too overweight to be able to do much for themselves and will still be reliant upon the mother state to suckle them in every single way. I don't know that this will stop the rage. I don't know what it will do to people, um, but it doesn't. I don't know this. It means that at that point, when our civilization is filled with unmen in, in such a level as this, you know, when these these yes children show up and like whine at age 45, right, uh, about whatever, um, about that point, uh, any land army could probably take most of the civilization with with almost no almost no casualties because everyone's just going to throw on their weapons. And, you know, a couple of idiots are going to shoot and realize they don't know what they're doing, and then everyone's going to run away and hide. And and that's what yesterday is going to create. You know, fifty years from now, you adopt this kind of mentality, and we already have. This is the thing. Yesterday, I mean, it's already there. It's already there. Meanwhile, so uh, cross reference this one uh, with uh, it was Twitter. So I don't trust Twitter entirely. There's all sorts of weird on Twitter, and yet when I see like uh, an article pointing out that the Chinese National Party, um, the uh, Communist Party, uh, is promoting masculinity among young men and with rigorous training and it has a picture of these like pretty stoked and buff looking Chinese guys and and they've got like the the rope thing that they're doing but they're in the waves doing this and they're like it looks like Navy SEAL level kind of stuff and maybe it is they're Navy SEALs and we got Navy SEALs like I don't know what 5,000 I don't even know um that's not a lot for land war uh so do you see where the 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 zeitgeist of power balance on the planet might be shifting at the moment yeah and then if you're a christian do you see where the idea is not to try to start an army and fight back do you see where that's just not going to be a winning solution for anybody do you see where re- reminding yourself of the wisdom that it lasts all ages and learning to stand on just locally where you are uh, it endears you to those conquerors who like order and peace because most conquerors do they just want taxes that's, that's mostly what they want right and so i don't know uh, but then again you got to throw this in there too you know netflix and and it's ilk uh, are chasing the singularity pretty hard right so maybe they will in fact all become mech warriors and stave off the pending uh, uh, assault of who knows what oh goodness the fear-mongering though right so how much does any of that do you good today let me give you another one this is now here's some good here's some good this is not news this is olds <laughs> uh, this is good olds there's uh there's a hebrew word called mishpat mishpat uh i mean i'd spell it for you but it's in hebrew you could probably write it out m-i-s-h-p-a-t mishpat and this word is often translated as judgment and that's fine it's a fine translation for it but due to a number of things having to do with the history and structure of the English language, uh, the word judgment now is almost exclusively a negative word, right? Like, like no one's real excited for some judgment to come around. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, judgment day. Ah, okay, so mishpat's the word. That's the Old Testament word. And yet, if you go and you dig at this word, it's not really bad. In fact, it's super, super good, especially when it's applied to you by God. Um, but before it even gets there, there's a, there's a better English for this than judgment, I think. It's the one that I've been meditating on for several months now. I have about six Hebrew words that have like formed my life essence as a philosopher. Um, and uh, I can explain that later to anybody who cares. But this is one of them. And it's, it's so valuable to understand that mishpat, judgment, in God's sight. What's judgment in God's sight? It's the proper measure. 
So mishpat is measurement. It's measurement. And when you tie it in with some other things like symmetry, uh, masharim, oh, I got it wrong. I, I, I did it off the cuff, and I, I, I don't correct me on what that actually was, but uh, symmetry. Uh, when you put measurement and symmetry together, you start having amazing things happen. But that, So start with measurement. Start with measurement. Mishpat. Mishpat, measurement, is discernment. It's like your ruler that's actually set right, right? So you know what a foot is. Uh, it's the very idea that there is a truth as opposed to a falsehood. Uh, mishpat. And before anything else, as a word in Hebrew, is religious. So it's also the measure that God takes of all things. You know, the, the created reality that you can see and touch, experience, that's God's mishpat, right? It's, it's, it's where it should be, and you should be able to find order in it. Again, that's where, in, in theory, some of the Enlightenment was moved by Christianity. Uh, I'm not going to say the Enlightenment was Christianity at all. I think it was the devil. Um, <laughs> was the Dark Ages really going, going crazy. But anyway, the, the Enlightenment was moved by Christianity through his belief in the created order and that God had, had done all of this in a way to be found. And so, again, mishpat is that as a... As a biblical word, a concept, a type, an archetype of biblical thought. And it's a really, really big one. Okay, so let me give it to you again now. So uh, drive it home as, as you can with all that context. Mishpat means the capacity to make basic distinctions between good and evil. Mishpat uh, is something that Christians really are given in the Bible. So we're given it by the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Right, so a lot of Christians today think that you just get it from the Holy Spirit. I'm, I got it and say stuff. No, 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 no. The Bible, first thing it says is like, don't run around and say stuff. Shut your mouth, read the Bible. <laughs> get, get in the Proverbs, get in the Psalms, you know, read the New Testament. Uh, so, uh, but, but, but a Christian in the Bible finds the word, which is Jesus, inspiring you, which that action is the Holy Spirit. It happens when it's spoken out loud, even better. Uh, it's because it's meant to be proclaimed, heralded, spoken, confessed, preached, whatever you want to say, talked about. Uh, and, um, that power within you then, reading the scriptures, learning discernment, being filled with the Holy Spirit, according to his actual didache, his teaching of you, that will enhance your mishpat. That, that will make you more able to measure. And the measurement is not necessarily about like getting better. I mean, the, the, the modern world thinks that means like less margin of error on your ruler, which is, which is kind of nonsense. That's like thinking you're going to live in a different world than you live in. Uh, the, the better measurement is realizing where your measurements can no longer go. Put that one like on the table and think about that. The, the best measurement is when you finally learn to see where you can no longer measure and you stop trying. That is a great gift from Jesus Christ when that comes to you in any area of your life. And it's good mishpat, right? To, to know the difference between good and evil, truth and falsehood. And functionally now, here's where it's so awesome. It's a gospel word. Functionally, it only exists or it comes out of the Old Testament as a, wait for it, Lutherans, wait for it. It's right there in our own Lutheran history. Uh, it, it's, mishpat is a relationship. <laughs> you do, in fact, according to the Old Testament, have to have a relationship with Jesus as your judge. Yes, indeed. And in fact, everybody does, but a Christian's the one who knows that he's judge and advocate. Oh yeah. Yeah. So functionally again, mishpat, mishpat, good measurement. The fact that Jesus is your judge that sets your relationship in regard to the entire universe spin around you in the proper measurement by grace, according to the atonement received through faith that should inspire you to read more about what Christ says about everything, which will then again, inhabit you, 
as your trust in him that will live mishpat without having to like rely on yourself for mishpat because in fact you know christ is the giver of this this good measurement oh my goodness i I hope that helped you that has been so valuable to me i cannot even explain how valuable it has been I'll leave it on level with this. It's, is it as valuable as a brief history of power with two white guys? Well, not because I'm on it. When I listen to that show, I actually find myself annoying, and I don't know how to fix that problem. I think most of you probably don't find me annoying yet, but I know some of you do. So I'm, I'm like, oh man, how do I get Dr. Koontz and me to keep engaging and me to keep engaging because I have to be like me to engage and like talk less. But that's again, you know, that wisdom foolishness thing. Talking with Dr. Koontz on a brief history of power with two white guys is such an insight into real history, into knowing where you actually stand as opposed to the babbly propaganda that they give you in every other level of the world. I mean, wherever you go, it's a story from someone, right? Well, okay, we have a story, and certainly it's biased. It's biased toward this. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. You are paid for. He won't be long now. Christianity exists. The Bible is true. Most of the rest of history is liars trying to gain power over each other through storytelling or arms. And you can kind of figure out where you stand way better than by watching the nightly news if you, again, listen to A Brief History of Power with Two White Guys, um, where I learned last week, but you can find it wherever iTunes is sold. Um, I, I, <laughs> I uh, uh, One of the best things I learned from him last week is the use of the word scare, S-C-A-R-E, in history by the media is a way that they will let you know whether or not the event was socially approved or not, right? So, so when it's the, the bad guys doing it, like, like right now there's a vaccine scare. Um, but then there's a COVID pandemic, right? Or crisis. So they use different words. So anyway, for my own part, I already did it once the show. Did you, did you catch it? I just called it the COVID scare. Not because there's no COVID, but because our reaction has been far more of a scare than an actual, hmm, anything resembling governance. <laughs> It looked like panic to me. You know, Jesus said, if you are not with me, you are against me. Did you know he said that? What does that mean? That's amazing. If you are not with me, you are against me. The good news is that since you're with him, you're listening right now and you're not like mad about that. Um, that's awesome, right? But what does that mean for mission? That's a really interesting thing. Also think about this one. Status. Status is a zero sum game. What do I mean by that? I, I think I need coffee, so that means five seconds. Are you ready? You who must plug your earbones, here comes... I don't even know where I moved it. Here it comes, here it comes. Status is a zero-sum game. What's a sum game? You gotta know what that is, right? What's a sum? A sum is when you add stuff up, right? Math, two plus two equals four. Four is the, the sum of the, the two and the two. Yeah. So, I mean, I was in a classroom where they taught us that, and I listened. I assumed everybody else was. I've learned since then that that was a radically foolish thing of me to do. Um, and thankfully, the Lord has always used that, uh, you know, to my benefit, these, these radically foolish assumptions I make. Uh, that's how he turns evil into good for those whom he loves. In any case, I did learn what sum means, and, and I would hope you can learn it now too, that it, the sum total of something is its, its total. So sum just means total. And if you're talking about a game, there's a couple of kinds of games that you can play. Most of us would think of a game as being a zero-sum game. That is, there is a winner and there is a loser. There is a plus and there is a negative and there's no sharing in between at the end. Like it, you only have, another way to look at it is you only have so many of an actual thing 
and you have more people who want that thing, that's a zero-sum game. Now, that leans toward economic thinking, and this definitely is economic thinking at the end of the day if you're going to talk about, say, even like Bitcoin. This is, this is connected to the theories behind Bitcoin and things like that. But we don't need to go into all that to realize that status, shame culture, is a zero-sum game. That is, it only exists when people lose. Uh, you must have someone's status go down for your status to go up because status is by definition a competition between two to see which is more gooder, right? That is the better status. And there's ways you get status like money. There's ways you get status like prostituting yourself. There's ways you get status, but status itself is a zero sum game. That is, you only have so much to go around and there will only ever be so many famous people at the very top because it just works that way. Yeah, zero sum games do. Time, by the way, is also a zero-sum game. Interesting to think on. But what is more valuable is that wisdom, wisdom is not a zero-sum game. That is, wisdom never has to take away good from anything. All that ever does is proliferate more good. It is a positive-sum game. Uh, a positive-sum game. It is a thing in which anyone who tries to gain more of it the true wisdom only creates more of it for everybody else. Now, this is how economies in paradise are going to work under Jesus' reign when he comes back. Like, physically speaking, as humans, our economy will be a positive sum game. You will not lack for anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not covet because everything's just going to be given to you when you get it. And that's why you're going to have it, is to give it to others. And we could kind of emulate this here barely, right? The best place to try is in your family, by the way. Um, and then at your local church, be that family, right? Uh, but uh, the future world that Christ promises to come in this resurrection that I'm pretty hopeful about, and all that, um, that reality will function in which a no-lack neighborhood is always given to each other. And that will be a positive sum game that already exists in the present through faith in Jesus, according to the scriptures, which is the more wisdom you read the scriptures for, the more you seek Christ in the scriptures, the more there is of him to share with everyone around. And I would suggest to you that this is more even than just what you say, but that what you are is a being and a body in the world, heartbeat with electricity, and the spirit of holy Jesus actually inhabiting you, angels accompanying you. You are tracking light and grace and truth everywhere you go in great weaving knots of beauty that only the unseen world can see. By faith alone, by trust in the scriptures alone. And what do you see then? Not a great war. What you see that when the man is blessed is a quiet life. <laughs> quiet life with family, kids, and his hands busy, busy in the dirt around him with some wisdom, teaching him to share more wisdom. Speaking of dirt, last one, then we'll go to a little break and come back with your questions and uh, grab the super chat and all that. Uh, so, do 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 do. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I think I talked about this on the last Debrief History of Power, but I'm, I'm so excited by the fact that I discovered my hands. And I mean, I've got carpal tunnel. I've been using my hands my whole life. I, I, I can I can out thumb anybody who's my age. <laughs> I, but that's not really working with your hands. That's more like a monkey on a typewriter kind of thing. Um, it can be. I mean, I've got books that came out. I actually wanted, oh, I didn't bring it over here. I really wanted to promote Without Flesh today. Um, I read uh, some of the, the introduction again, not the prologue, but the, the next section. And it's just it's so prescient and for our time. Um, uh, at Mad, Mad Mondays, we may get a clip of that coming this week. In any case, uh, finding a way to make and do and use my hands that on the same day is reward is highly gratifying. And this is where chores aren't chores 
if you consider them the gift of good hands. Now, maybe there are chores that you want to share or learn to not have, or your chore is to figure out a better way to not have that chore because it is just a chore and you can, you can automate it, whatever. That's fine. But the, the more important idea though is to see that something that your hands touch and act on that in that same day gives result to you to see while you're breathing and exercising effectively as you do it, that that's good for your heart straight up. Like you just, you just feel good about that. It's good for your spirit straight up. And I didn't know that. I really didn't know that. I mean, I, I like playing basketball. So like, that's probably why I like playing basketball as I think about it um, is just that reality. That's uh, why people like sports. Okay. So think then like take a step back into the land of Minecraft where it's modern and you got a bench for everything in the world, including nuclear physics. And then realize you can do a lot of that in your basement. And then suddenly, well, what, what have I found? I've found again, I'm going to tinker with some wood this summer largely because I think it's not a bad idea to have a skill that my hands can do, which might be saleable. So, you know, yard furniture, I don't know. It seems, seems pretty simple actually, as I look at it. So, um, and it's, I like working with the wood, but does that mean I'm going to throw my heart into being a woodworker the rest of my life? Not necessarily, but the idea is to grow in my knowledge of my hands so I can figure out what my hands are good for. And you know how you do that? You, you put your, <laughs> put your laptop down, you stand up and you walk around and you try to do stuff with your hands and you'll find out what you can't stand, what you do stand, what you're good at. And you'll want to test yourself. Well, can I do this? You're like, oh, that wasn't good enough. But the next time you do it, it's better, right? That is highly, highly gratifying. And so I'm going to bring this, uh, maybe full circle for myself a little bit here by saying that, uh, Christians knowing that they are allowed to love wood and stone as Christians, as part of today alone and not for the future, uh, but today, the work of today, uh, that that is the counterpunch to the Old Testament's idolatry of wood and stone. And the reason why it's okay in Jesus' name now, he's changed the universe, right? So we can go back to this, this earth that God has given us in ways that primordial man couldn't see. They knew it was coming, but they couldn't see it. What does that mean now? It means that we can love the earth as the earth without having to worship the earth. Christians always do this, but I'm still trying to find that place in history where they grabbed it with both hands as like a primary idea. Uh, and I think right now we're positioned to do just that. You know, with all the hype about green nonsense, uh, we are positioned to love the earth as the earth without worshiping the earth while everyone else is worshiping the earth. I mean, I had the uh, had a conversation yesterday about um, I, I didn't look for this one <laughs> you know, about uh, EMPs and being ready to have my well water still there in the event of electricity not working because uh, you know an EMP, which is effectively a nuclear bomb going off somewhere in the atmosphere above the Earth, so it doesn't cause the damage the bomb would damage on the Earth. It just knocks out all the electricity, fries all the computer circuits. Some old cars might start, but man, it'll be a different world. And the food supply is the problem, my friends. The food supply is the problem when that happens. Ay, 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 ay. Now that I went far enough on that, why was I going there? Wood and stone is where we want to get back to. Mm -mm. Mm, that's a scary thought, though, huh? I mean, it's enough to distract me right in, right in real time, uh, thinking about food supplies and stuff. Um, we are allowed to love the earth without having to worship the earth. We can know that if that were to happen and we were all to die a slow death of starvation like happened to blacks in the South in the Reconstruction period, as again, I learned from A Brief History of Power recently, uh, we can live through that as Christians and die in it as Christians, and we're empowered by the Spirit to know that we'll be strong through it. The only thing keeping us from believing that is that we don't want to believe that because we'd rather live the worldly life and have our roots settled down here, right? So I, I don't think you're watching this show because you like that. I don't want to condemn you if you're like, oh yeah, it is me. That's the point. Yeah, like let's wake up together. Hey, uh, let's let's not stand the way the rest of the world is standing. And that means then rediscovering how you can love wood and stone or whatever, leather, 
You know, pick your pick your Minecraft, Skyrim, whatever real thing, and go touch some of it and find out what it's like to mess with it. Live in the empirical world that the empirical world has stolen from you by having you chase the zeitgeist of a Im- totally imagined reality. My, my blessed son, I love my son. I love my son. And even so, I let him play Minecraft. Because <laughs> I'm not sure yet still. I still think there's some good in these things. But I, I it, it caught me like as a story here, okay? So we're about to sit down and eat dinner. We eat meat. Meat, when it's a, a, a steak that's not the finest cut of steak, um, it can still be cooked like a steak. So we'll do things like roast. And it'll be like medium rare. And that's a meal that's a great meal for us. But it's hardly like our, our favorite thing. You want to eat it when it's hot is really what I mean. I don't want to say it's not our favorite thing. You want to eat it when it's hot so it stays soft. You know, the, the more the roast gets cold, the more it's, you know, you want to put ketchup on it. Add some sugar. We're not going to do that. So, so anyway, so we like to eat, you know, when that's ready. And the only one not at the table is, is my boy, and he's playing Minecraft. And um, we, we, someone calls to him, and he, he talks about how he's, like, really far away from where he should be and how uh, the, the, in this little world, it's all in his head is my point here, right? He's in the basement. He's underneath our feet. But he thinks he's far out in the wilderness with all of his gold and his silver, and it's nighttime, and he could die. And, so he, he, and it's on a server, so he can't just log out. So, um, I think I shouted something like, well, you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> and, uh, and he came up and he stood for the prayer and he went back down. He was gone a little bit and he came back up and he says, I died. I lost all my gold. Like, and what was, what was, I was so proud of the boy. He took it like a champ. He was like, it's a game. <laughs> I could see the hurt in his heart over nothing. And that's the story. Okay, so the hurt in his heart over nothing at the end of the day, over a story, over a story. Um, I had an interesting conversation with my beloved yesterday about how you view characters in a story that you read and how much of a relationship you might develop with them uh, as if they were a real person, which they are uh, kind of a shadow of the person who wrote the story. So there is definitely truth to this. But again, uh, being focused on your hands means being focused on a story that, well, it's, it can't go away um, uh, just because someone changes the channel, right? Uh, it can't go away just because the zeitgeist blows this way or that way this week. Uh, having things that are about your hands stay permanent and stable. And so having your story, uh, the, the inputting of what fiction you decide you're going to chase, because history's fiction too, you know, uh, you're going to chase... Outside the Bible, whatever you, you're looking at besides the Bible, how you're going to embody that in this world, um, that reality is going to be seen narrowly, not far away, but in close to you, you know, with those your neighbor, those who are near to you. And so working with your hands, again, I, I would contend is if, if you're afraid of talking to your neighbors, don't start talking to your neighbors. Start working with your hands in your garage and uh, just do it. Just do it. Wave when they walk by. Like, don't even smile. Like, I'm a curmudgeon. I'm a curmudgeon. They sure don't talk to me, right? But like, be there with your hands because that's to be a neighbor to begin with. And they'll, if you're working with someone, you're good at it. Hey, uh, that's a village. That's a village. And we're going to need those at some point here in the future is me thinkings. Me, McAdam crazy thinkings. Christians are allowed to love wood and stone. It's not idolatry. Don't worship the earth. We don't have to. They're all doing it. Stop it yourself. Get involved in, oh, I don't know, whatever is near you. We'll be right back with your questions. I'll grab those super chests that came through. There's lots, lots, there's plenties of good still coming, so you definitely want to stick around. 
All right. So uh, Darth Mick says this uh, in the in the comments here, just at the bottom during the time uh, that uh, I can't. I'm gonna say it wrong. Is uh, This is the one where you put it in the bag in the water, right? My problem with that's plastic. So I'm curious. Plastic and cooking food just doesn't seem wise to me ever. And so I'm, maybe I'm completely bonkers on that. I'd love to learn more about that. You can send that actually to redfist.com slash contact uh, if you got real information on that. Or you can share it at the Mad Christian Discord. You won't find it as the Mad Christian Discord. We're crazy like that. You'll find it by searching for us, the chill on Discord. What's Discord? It's Facebook without advertisements. And yeah, when when someone's not paying for you to see it, it takes a little more work, but it's Facebook without advertisements and you get to control your own little place. There's this mad Christian server with all sorts of channels for, I don't even look at it all anymore. And frankly, it's probably a little dangerous on the street. So it is Fight Club. Be ready. You go in and people disagree with each other. But by and large, there's a civil society seeking to be Christians together in the discord of this age, networking across real time and space, including regional realities for the Sons of Solomon, that prayer group that's focused focused on praying certain psalms for the life of the world because it can't really hurt, right? All of that, um, uh, all from Suvide, from plastic. If you would like to um, tell me more about how I can cook meat in high temperatures in plastic and not have the plastic in the water photo dissolve, because plastic photo dissolves, and so join with my meat and be eating plastic. Now, I say this as one who loves these little, like, mushroom treats I can get from Costco that are cooked in some sort of, like, it's not soy oil, but it's like soy oil, and it's like, that alone will put you in the grave right there. The, that, the, the carcinogenic level of the fried foods we eat makes smoking look healthy. I mean, I'm not kidding. We really need to be a little more aware of, of this, and I'm pretty bad at it myself. Anyway, that's not what the show is for, I swear, but we did have a super chat uh, that says this. Not that I only care about money, I really... Mammon, more and more. Inflation, the dollar, it's all a lie. This is something, says Anakin, uh, I've been wondering while reading Isaiah, was it better for Israel to be conquered than for her sin to continue? The same for us too. Yes, 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 yes. So think about when Israel is not going to go in to destroy the, I think it's the Amalekites, because their sins have not yet been filled up. So the Lord, even without Jesus in history, for the sake of those who are in Jesus, has mercy on people groups up to a certain point, a line that he will not allow to be crossed with regard to evil. And they always have a commiserate punishment as a corporate body for the evil of the society and Christians and Jews historically and Israelites, that would mean. And like Abraham, you know, Noah, you're along for the ride, whatever that means. But you've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which then means that you're an immortal in the midst of a dying world. And you could live it like it's the most awesome thing ever, but we're too busy trying to escape because we don't believe our own story. Thank you for the question. Uh, was it better to be conquered? Yeah, it was. That's, I, it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't. And we got another question like that coming up later. So if that didn't make sense, stay tuned because uh, one of those is coming from you in just a moment. This will not take long. All right. So we are going to begin with a question from Judith. Judith is so uh, willing to send us good questions regularly. And uh, thank you for continuing to listen and leave comments on like every YouTube video I ever did. I go to try to check comments on YouTube, not as often as, at, well, I don't want to because they're often mean, but but Judith doesn't leave mean comments and they're always there. And so thank you for that, Judith. That, that's a nice thing. I, I, when the people are, are trolling me, there's always kind of a like, oh, thank you for saying this, Pastor Fisk. And that's, that's really nice. So Judith says this, I came across a phrase that made me stop and think. I don't have to grovel for grace. 
Okay, so I'm, I'm assuming this was not in the Bible, right? This is just out, out in the world. Someone said this. Uh, King David's experience showed that he did prostrate himself, yeah, but stood. Uh, but on the other hand, the man stood on the street corner and asked God to forgive him for being a sinner. So you're talking about the man you were talking to who set it on to grovel for grace? Um, it may not depend on posture, but do we have to grovel at all? Uh, the father ran out to meet the prodigal. Just a random thought. Well, what I don't want to do here is confuse your justification. That is, you know, shorthand for your standing with Jesus. Like what Jesus says about you as your judge. Don't confuse that, like for David's forgiveness and prostrating himself. And don't confuse the justification coming to you with the physical action that you're doing that is something other than the ones Jesus has said are his justification. He's got two... Uh, Three of those, uh, one is wet, wetting you with water in his name, one is feeding you with bread and wine that he says is him, and then one is telling you about this over and over again for the rest of your life, right? So um, that does not necessarily require that you put your face in the dirt. Putting your face in the dirt is a ancient, hallowed in that regard, biblical in that regard, like historically, an obviously natural way to demonstrate your repentance, <laughs> your subservience, right? What could be more humbling, if you actually want to think you're humble, what could be more humbling than kissing the dirty carpet in the front of your church? It's pretty disgusting. I've been down there. I want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, but does that is that required of a person, their physical body? No. We need to need to be washed by Jesus. You need to be fed by Jesus. And he's given us very clear institutions to make that happen. I don't know why anybody would ever question that. I cannot fathom why no one wants to believe this in America. Wasps everywhere. Oh, no, I won't believe it. Okay, man. All right. Um, but, okay. So the, um, but the idea of prostration, again, as being the old word for worship now, there is a fact that you're not going to be able to, to engage in uh, the spiritual sacrifice of praise without your body. This is like when I said men and women are different, right? So like you can get really mad about what I just said, I think, right? Because uh, you just you just are so far off the deep end. You don't really realize that you can't sing without a body. You can't pray without a body. Um, you can't, you know, I don't listen without a body. So, so your body is a huge part of worship. And now, your body also is an animal, not a machine, right? It, it doesn't really store on a shelf well. Uh, it more survives, but we treat our bodies in the modern world more like the batteries in the matrix. We kind of are. We store on the shelf. We, we plug our spirits into blue light, and then the, the great zeitgeist runs, right? Skynet does what she does, and we just corporately uh, are part of that. Um, we bring that into the church with our posture. We treat church like it's entertainment. We look at it as if it's supposed to be a viscerally inspiring experience rather than perceiving it as an admission of our suffering and our inability to come before God as anything other than prostrate beggars, right? Now, so do you have to prostrate your nose on the ground to demonstrate this? No, not, not even a little bit. I mean, you can stand straight up, put your head up and demonstrate this if your spirit is getting that from the Lord saying, lift up your head. I mean, well, then, then you should lift up your head at that moment. If that's, if that's the word of scripture that came across in your head, lift up your head. You know, um, the, the point is to have your body be in the story of scripture, which is not just a story, but an active, holy, spiritual reality, greater than psychology, bigger than religion, actual eschatological end times, saving of the world today yesterday, tomorrow, until Christ returns in the exact same way he has since he ascended. 
Oh goodness, that 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 sounded like it filled my heart up a little bit. The the so then so then that means that the more that you are hungering for what you're getting at church, I think the less you will find yourself willing to do nothing at church, right? To just sit there and kind of lean back. You're going to have your body get involved. I would imagine you're going to have your Bible at some point. If you really care, you're going to have a Bible and you're going to be in the Bible. You will look at it when the Bible is being read and you might even have a way to make notes on that because you consider what it says to be worth remembering. And you also know you live in the land of gaslight where the entire system is geared to plug you into a screen brain tentacle of Tulu so that you will not remember next week what you could have if you made a note in your Bible. So I imagine that that will, can, that will happen to you because if it doesn't, you will be ripped away from it by the power of the zeitgeist. These machines, Skynet is powerful. And if you're not going to fight back outside it, you're going to be swallowed inside it. Once that happens, once you're willing to like hold your Bible, my guess is you're going to probably want to do more things with your body. Things like kneel. You might do it. You might actually want to prostrate yourself. And if you're alone in the church and you're not going to disturb some old lady, go for it. You know, um, you be aware. I think I preached about this in James. You know, if you're going to do something that's going to upset everybody the way you do it right now, don't do that. Don't do that. But if you have the aspiration to show humble reverence, do so. Now, there's some simple ways to do this. Just bowing when the, the, you enter the church before you go into your pew, sign of the cross. These are, these are ways that are, in my, in my congregation, would be less um, ostentatious, right, than like getting down on your face on the ground. It's, it's a little ostentatious in our age. But the fact that, you know, what we do is sit in pews with cushions on them as opposed to, I don't know, the Middle Ages where it was just a big hall where you stood. Um, it seems to me that you know, bodily posture has been driven a little more by the blue light uh, than by a, a trying to figure out what would a Christian sanctuary that cared about justification by grace through faith and not stealing money from everybody for the sake of the Pope, what would it actually do well with itself together? What postures would be good for us as we come together to confess the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed? As we come together to sing songs. I can tell you, standing up's good for singing songs. You want to sing songs with your face in the dirt? Won't sound good. The organ's going to overpower you more than it already does, right? So your body is part of worship. And that's the point I'd rather have you take from this than any way that I think we should apply it right now. I just don't even think, we're, we're so Gnostic. We're so Gnostic. We walk around like these bodies are just like like machines that we inhabit with our brains. Um, and again, the singularity belief of, of Silicon Valley is, is the leading religion of the world right now. They're running everything, right? So of course we're going to be like this. All right. So your faith does not depend on posture. However, think, think justification talk again from James chapter two, okay? Uh, you do not... You do not become justified in God's sight by what you do, by works. It already happens when God comes to you like Abraham and says, I'm going to do this for you, right? But then when what he says you're going to do, you believe it's true and then pursue it, which he does. That's all he says. You act on it. Try it. You're in me. You will bloom. You will grow. Well, when you do that, then that itself is the reward. (laughs) <laughs> faith itself is the reward. And, and the idea that we would have to argue about the difference between faith and works, I mean, it's, I, I know why Lutherans defend grace. I get it. I, I, I do it and I will. But the more I look at that as our ongoing posture, that, that we have to present ourselves as those who are, who are like going to go defend justification by grace, I don't think people have like the spiritual um, integrity to, to even feel bad about anything, mostly. <laughs> So, so I think we got to start with some like, some like 
low-hanging fruit, like man and woman are not the same being, and nature teaches you this. Put them in like a pen. Take a man and a woman and put them in a pen and feed them and like leave them there for 100 years. You'll see the difference between men and women. It's, it's there, right? You can just observe it like we're, like we're robots like or monkeys or whatever, right? That's a radical thing. Your body is more than half your worship experience. If you stayed up late drinking, you got up, you ate sugar. No, you're not going to feel good in church. <laughs> no, you're not going to feel good in church. And it doesn't have much to do with church. Uh, although maybe it has much to do with what you think of church. So, uh, Judith, I don't mean to imply it. that's you at all. And, oh, you mentioned the prodigal. Right. So see this. What is the prodigal doing, though? The prodigal is repentant. He's down. He is downtrodden. What does the father do? He lifts him up. So the Christian lives in an awareness of this, that you know, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you. I, I, it sounds like what James said. And it's not about earning grace. It's about knowing the grace is already there. And hey, look at that. I'm a son of God. I'm going to drop on my knee and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he's going to lift me up because that's what he does. Oh my goodness. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And this is the truth we proclaim. Let's go one more and then I'm going to take another little break here and do some more water. But we got awake too often says regarding Bible translations. Are word-for-word translations really that much better than thought-for-thought translations? Can you explain why? So I think thought-for-thought, you mean paraphrase, right? So you have like a spectrum between what the scholars, the experts, call literal translation. And maybe the most famous is Young's literal translation. And it's famous, I think, just because he is the first one to do one and make it really popular, right? He may not be the best one that's out there and it could have a lot of non-literal in it. I used it once or twice way back in the day. Um, uh, anyway, you got, so Young is like this attempt to go word for word and nothing but and even, nope, he fixed the order. <laughs> so even there, it's not as literal as you'd, you'd like it to be when you think of word for word. You can't do it. You can't actually do it word for word unless you're preaching and translating as you go word for word with like paragraphs on each word. Well, uh, two sentences or three on each word. So, so, but trying to be more like the Greek text, literally, as opposed to not worrying at all and just freely translating like a whole paragraph as a concept and elaborating on it, that, well, briefly, you will elaborate. They're like, no, we don't elaborate. Yes, you do. You can't not. Even the word for word elaborates. It can't avoid it. Translation is part of the problem of Babel. It is also part of the gift of Pentecost, so we should not fear it, but we should embrace it wholeheartedly and realize it's a big part of what we must do generation to generation as Christians. Um, That was, ah, okay, so um, paraphrase, (laughs) uh, paraphrase then would be, the more you have the paraphrase as a Bible, the more you just have to know this is the interpretation, this is the commentary, this is the layperson's commentary on the Bible by whoever did it. Whoever did it. So the message, right? Um, who, I can't think of his name now, but he's written other books that I know a lot of guys get a lot of pastoral ministry stuff out of because he was a, a pastor his whole life and and uh, has some wisdom for parish life as a Christian, even though, from my understanding, he's, he's quite wrong about a lot of things. And, and he shows it in the message because the message is, it's a paraphrase. It's, it's an interpretation and opinion about what the scripture says written by one man. Is that bad or good? It is what it is. It's good. He tried to translate the Bible into English, and my guess is, as many problems as I have with it, there are people who will believe in Jesus and go to heaven with the message being largely their experience. And the Holy Spirit is competent 
to burn away all the rest of the, the, the straw and leave the gold. So I'm not afraid of that. But when I'm looking at how to discern, how to mishpat my own translation, right? I'm not going to choose something so obviously so far gone uh, as a single person's paraphrase as my primary Bible. Um, I would recommend having more than one, but you do want a primary, which you know is your primary, and you're kind of going to learn to memorize stuff from, um, uh, or at least to share it with people from that text. Um, but you can have, if that paraphrase happens to really help you, or like I use that comic book, right? The, the, the uh, Kingstone comic, uh, three, three part Bible. Um, that's a paraphrase. It's effectively a paraphrase. It's a really cool one. Um, and I don't rely on it as the text. I rely on it on like, on like cream on top of the, 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 the bread. <laughs> uh, and the bread is like the English text. And then that is really, I just want to throw the bread aside. I'm like looking at the bread, like where's the interesting piece? And then, oh, get under it, go to the meat. Yeah. And that's, that's the original text again, as best as we can get to them in Greek and Hebrew. Um, so what do I think, you know, is, is word for word better or paraphrase better? Neither of them is really ultimately qualified to stand alone. Um, but I don't think any translation is. I would suggest to you that one of the reasons we're having so much trouble as American Christians is we're relying on English translations from generations ago and trying to make more English translations now as if that's the solution instead of finding out what the translations really mean, right? Um, we, we go back and we are not translating afresh. We are, we are cleaning off the outside of what was already done in English and it's driven by the Society of Biblical Literature, which largely inhabited by un- unbelieving men and women. Uh, and, and so... To expect that in the in the world of translation, playing by any of its rules, you're gonna you're gonna really get to the bottom of this. I think that's that's you're asking for too much from one translation, uh, and that's where I'm advocating now at my parish, and I, I'm just gonna keep advocating. I don't know if it's even possible. Oh, we're gonna start a school for for learning Greek. I mean, we're just, we're just gonna teach it. Um, and Wednesday nights, come join us. Uh, and it's not gonna be like don't don't come ready to to sit down in a chair and memorize stuff. Um, I'm gonna teach you how to gradually hunger for what's underneath the text. And if you got a Greek Bible, you'll, you'll gradually get to put it together. Because did you know, did you know this? Um, 300 vocabulary words make up like 80% of the New Testament. 300, yeah. Um, and as Brian Wolfmuller said in the comments last week, you know, a little a little knowledge can be dangerous. So don't go decide you're a teacher of men just because you learned agape, right? Like, don't, don't do that. Um, instead, humble yourself before these words and and find a way to learn them. I find a teacher who will teach them. I'm I'm not going to be doing that too much here although I did do Mishpat today, didn't I? Um so but that that's kind of my solution to this would be uh you have to have a community text that you're all using and agreed to. Um in the in the LCMS that's either ESV or KJV at my congregation it's still ESV although I mean I meant to say new KJV. Um although for myself I'm just using new KJV um and I'm going to walk that line together and uh expose them to the other one and let them kind of wrestle with these ideas in real time in a very I hope gentle way. Um but uh, the idea would be then, again, to grab a communal, a group English translation that we're intentionally not going to change. And we're not going to listen to people who tell us that the, the collapse of words makes it change. And so we have to change it later because new people won't understand it. So instead, the hope would be we'd realize the answer. If you don't know what that word means, is to figure out what the Greek word means. <laughs> Go find it, right? Uh, and then, then you'll know what it means. Don't, don't let the words be stolen from you by unbelieving decay, but, but save the words because they're what the scriptures say in your language. Um, now, 
does this require uh, the belief that we should be in the original language text as pastors? Yes, it requires that. If you go to a Christian church where the man never enters or engages either Hebrew or Greek, then he's just preaching the opinions of men at a certain point. Um, certainly, as I said before, like through the message, Jesus can work through all of this, but it is a great stumbling block. And I mean, more than that, it's a hole. It's a hole in the ground that you're running on uh, if you're just going to believe whatever, you know, literal or paraphrase. And what I see more and more is that guys, Rick Warren's a great example of this, Purpose Driven Life, many, many years ago, just cherry-picked from his favorite translation whatever he wanted to have the text say. It didn't even matter what the actual Bible says. He just, he just went and picked his favorite translation verses and made his own Bible. It was, oh, man. And he's still... My father, uh, God bless him, uh, gave me a book uh, to review, and it was pretty good, actually, uh, but he had Warren on the cover. and He probably got paid for that. Um, that world, that world, that world. So does this help a little bit? I hope it helps. We can come back to it another time. I said we take a break and be right back, so you are going to absolutely stick around. All right, we got lots of good comments going on. I'm going to share them here. Shelly says some stuff about the NASB and secondary ESV are considered the most literal of critical of the critical text. And keep in mind, the critical text does not, it's a moving target. <laughs> they, they change it now uh, whenever they decide that it just more represents. And gradually, what you can know will happen is the progressive agenda will, will take hold of that at some point. So be careful with your critical additions. Going forward, you know, uh, and then um, know that your ESV and NASB, I don't know about the NASB, but the ESV is uh, also updating in real time on its website. So you buy an ESV today and it'll be a different one that you get from five years from now. And I'm not going to call that not babble. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, but good information here. The NKJV is translation of the majority text and the KJV is the translation of the Texas Receptus. Some great critical thoughts there. If you want to learn about the critical apparatus, I recommend first just deal with whichever one you got, find one that's not going to change and learn a couple of the words because you're really going to get your heart of this not in dealing with the critical text arguments. That's what a scholar is going to do when he's trying to make a case about one verse really meaning something. What you want to do instead is just get into the verses that are unquestionable. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Imagine if you could just say that in Greek to yourself, know what it meant. I mean, it, yeah, don't, don't, yeah, imagine it. It is confidence. I'll promise you. It is confidence. Here, here. I can't do that one. But uk estia elton, agarresta the guard tamais. Oh, and you don't even know what I said. I'll translate it because that is what a Christian should do. It's you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body for we have this treasure in jars of clay. Uh, and, and to, that's my confirmation verse with a little extra and the first thing I did myself memorizing in Greek and now I'm selling it to you because honestly, it's good for you. feels great and... um. Yeah, yeah, it's worth your time. Anyway, I'll, I'll pitch that more, I'm sure, in the future. Let us... Oh, wait, there was another one here on the side I wanted to get to. Oh, yeah, Shelly. A different... It was Natalie. I want to know this, people. Let's get this one going in Discord and the Saturday morning show after hours if you're interested in this topic because I'll come back and check that later today, although I have a super busy day, so don't expect me before, like, Monday afternoon at this point. Um, but anyway, talking about Illinois. Illinois is a hot mess. People are fleeing. As bad as California and New York, petition... Going to recall the governor. Thanks be to God. I'd like to have that happen. Maybe he can do online. So here, here's here's my thing though. The housing market, so far as I understand it, in Illinois, it's, it's in Rockford at least, is through the roof so high that if you want to buy a home, you can't because they're gone. So I don't get this because I hear this myth and I hear that myth. I hear these stories from far away. There's a house across the street for sale by owner. It hasn't sold yet. I got some friends. They're going to put a house on the market now just because it's so hot. So uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. So if you know 
what the real dystopic nightmare reality from Tutulu's own living room is regarding the real estate casino and its impact on actual Illinois realities. Who's buying these houses? Who's my new neighbors? Um, I'd love to know that. I really would. So uh, consider that one for the after hours. Saturday morning chill at the Mad Christian Discord. You can find it again by looking for us. The chill, because we're like that. And here we go. B, Anonymous writes this. Ah, such a good question. How, buckle in, how is the death of a child God's best plan? You can't take that one with haste. And uh, so I'm not going to. And... I will go ahead and mention that from personal experience, we have five that we see, and uh, we have three that were born before they were able to be baptized. And uh, I don't know what that means, really, although I think I do, and it's not what you want it to mean. And I'm okay with that, because I'm okay with Jesus, and I'm not going to worry about his mishpat. He knows what he's up to. Um, And that's the answer to your question. So I advocate that when you find something bad in your life, if you can breathe and step back and ask, how is this actually good? You will eventually be able to find the solution to that. Eventually. I advocate that. But the only reason I can advocate that is because you have to believe at that moment that it happened because God wanted it to. Jesus wanted it to. For eternally good reason and you're like how can that be and the answer is because you don't believe it that's it so it's not about how you must activate your faith you know i don't know uh, what captain planet uh, it's it's not about how christianity is reliant upon you it's that christianity is the gift to have some self-control over you and that includes your mind and the ability to take thoughts captive to discern their truth and to truly jettison them and the thought to take captive with regard to this particular issue is that all things work for the good of those who love God in Christ Jesus neither height nor depth angel nor demon can separate you from the love of Christ fact 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 Jesus Christ the same yesterday today forever he will not leave you nor forsake you So how is the death of this child God's best plan? I can't say that because I don't know which child it was. I'll confess to you that if we had not lost our children, the path I was set on might never have happened and I wouldn't be the man I am able to have this conversation with you today. I confess to you that uh, unplugging from Skynet and the Matrix has made me realize that if I uh, had had these other children... I might have made far worse decisions about um, media usage in the house because I never would have again been thrown into some questioning that brought about again where I am today. So one story I'll tell myself, which I think any honest Christian should be able to say, is that they were taken from me because I would have sent them to hell. Or they would have sent me to hell. Or the brothers and sisters. Or the whole universe. Um. That's what I deserve. All right. So I don't know. I'm not in charge. I'm not the king. So when the king gives and the king takes, that's how it's the best 
plan. Yeah. Hope that helped. It's, it's good stuff. Christianity rocks. Absolutely rocks. Oh my goodness. All right. So uh, away, awake too often has another question. Ari, the attractional model, a little more lively here. Uh, someone made an argument to me that if we can get people who don't believe into the church, then they can have the opportunity to hear the gospel. What do you think of this? I think we need a new language. <laughs> What's church even mean? What's church even mean? It's used for so much. It's worse than love, people. It's just, it's ruined. It's a ruined word. It's not even out of the original languages via like, you know, other, there are words that slip into English from Greek and we use them. There's words that slip into Hebrew. I assume English from Hebrew. Hallelujah. You know, we use them. But the word for church, like this most definitive thing of what we are, we're stuck with German Kirche, all because of Protestantism? What? I mean, yeah, the King James Bible is the English original dictionary and church doesn't mean what it's always translated as in there, but has come to mean instead these institutions and buildings, right? So how do I, 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 I'm going to answer the question by calling foul on the language and saying that you can't get someone who doesn't believe into the church because to believe is to be in the church. And that's how the Bible talks. And when you talk this way, you're not talking like the Bible at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. Like, there's no way to make it better. You can't save the question. It's that wrong. Okay? Uh, you cannot... Uh, so let me ask the question differently. How do we get people to worship our idol so that later we can tell them to worship Jesus? That's the question. That's the question now. Yeah? I'm not, it, does everybody actually worship their building? No. But the language that has supplanted the gathering around the word and sacraments of Jesus with the notion of a testimony to ourselves with our own names on every window and every pew and every piece. Don't tell me this is healthy Christianity, people. Don't tell me this is what we're supposed to be doing. Don't tell me uh, that we're not worshiping wood and stone against what I said earlier, right? Oh my goodness. So the idea that you need to get people anywhere or anything other than near a Christian in order for them to have the opportunity to hear a gospel is nonsense. It is ludicrous. I'm going to say it's diabolical. It is demonic to think that you need to do anything besides announce that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead in order to get people to believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And I'd say that's even common sense that I said that. That's not even like radical biblicism. That's not just common sense. Like if, if people are going to believe in the resurrection, it will happen because of the power of Jesus inhabiting by the spirit, the words that he has risen. And you can do whatever you want with whatever trendy gimmick you like to get whatever crowd wherever so you can pat yourself on the back and get more of that paycheck. Whether that paycheck is cash or just your own pride, you can do that. And you can look at that building and call it church as long as you want. But Judgment Day will test the value of your words. So that's what I think of this. That's what I think of this. Some people make arguments. That is, they dispute. They're sophists. They don't like what the Bible says. And so they try to get rid of what it says in order to, what? Do some humanitarian work, it would seem. And the humanitarian work is having people join our the church, because we have a club and we painted Jesus' face on it. So therefore, Jesus will bless us no matter what we do. The Bible? You, you want me to read that, Pastor? I don't got time for that, Pastor. We're not a church. 
<laughs> I, I mean, it really, it should instead be, Pastor, I know, I'm trying. And then it's like, all right, I'm going to help you. Yeah. So how do you get people into the church is through getting them to hear about Jesus. And if you're going to try to trick them into hearing about Jesus, it shows how little you believe in Jesus. That's what I say to that. It shows how little you believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Like the person's going to hear that. They believe in Jesus so little, they think I just condemned them to hell when I said that. They're, they're so unsure of their faith. They need this to justify themselves so much that they'll be offended by what I said rather than realize that my brother is saying, hey, dude, it doesn't have to be that hard. <laughs> I, I, there's a book called Broken. Uh, I can't, can't see the picture right there. Book called Broken, which actually deals with uh, very much this issue uh, of uh, if we can just if we can just in the church. I think it's chapter four, might be five. Been a while since I wrote that one. Uh, Amy says this, Pastor Fisk, do you think if one of your videos were to go viral in a positive, admirable way, I like this thought, this is good. Uh, would, it, would, it change, <laughs> would it change anything about you as a pastor? It would have to. It's just that body thing from worship earlier. This is, this is the, the, the Gnosticism at work among us here. Didn't I say I was gonna take a break? I'll come back and answer this after I get a little water. Hang tight. All right, I didn't want that to be long. I didn't want to like glug, glug, glug right in your face either. Um, let's, let's walk this through. Let's say one of these videos were to do something that would go viral. Like the, the, the odds of it being positive at this time in history are pretty low, I think. Uh, it is more likely that me talking about a man being a man and a woman being a woman at some point causes a problem. Although I don't think that's really a problem. It's most likely that I just go away. Like, like YouTube is just, Fisk is just gone one day and you're like, where'd Fisk go? And I'm like, yeah, they shut down my YouTube account and that's it, right? That's all that will happen. Um, They would not make me go viral. They don't need me for that unless they need a scapegoat and they can find a way to direct like the wrath and hellfire of the the Navy SEALs and, and, uh, and all forms of military conquest on Rockford, Illinois, because I'm the great threat of domestic terrorism and they caught me saying something to prove it and they can splice it together and, and create that scenario. I mean, is that what Waco was? There are people who say this. Um, I don't have what Waco had, right? I mean, I would have done International House of Prayer before, before coming after Fist. Of course, they took themselves off the map recently. But point being, the, the, uh, the chances of me going viral positively, I think, are less than me going viral negatively. And uh, so it's hard for me to envision this. Uh, but if it were to happen, I, I, I mean, you would have to have people like converting to Christianity. I mean, that, that's what would be going on, which would be really cool. Um, like it'd be happening and happening and happening and it'd be happening in other places. What would that do to me and my body? Well, I've, I've set up the system here so that I'm pretty sure no matter what happens with what I'm creating, as long as I don't get arrested, I can keep doing exactly what I'm doing, serving my parish, no matter what else happens far away. Because what I would do is I would ignore it. (laughs) Or I would very tactfully orient it to help move other people into certain positions of national dialogue. That's what I would do. Um, And already, if you look at Brief History Power, that's what I'm doing with what I have, is I'm moving someone who's got a far better voice than I do in terms of... um, let's just say uh, group cohesion conversation. Like I'm the firefighter or I'm the fire lighter, right? He's, he's the extinguisher uh, in Dr. Koontz. And so uh, th- that's what I would, what I would do. That's what would change is I would just, I would tactfully try to do that, but I would try to keep my body and my life away from it as much as possible. And if, if there was a, like an attempt to capitalize on in some, some way, like make a movie about me or a show about me, I would want to get out of it. I would, I would try to say no. Um, because, I know this is what would happen and this is why it's a dream for me. 
um, what would happen is the, the, the more viral that video or that this channel would get because of that, the more likely I would have people showing up in my congregation to hear me talk. That would create a massive challenge for us right now. Our, our, our building is quite small. Um, we, we do well, we're a family church, we're not in any jeopardy, we have like just the right touch of generational distancing, and, and it's, it's really quite marvelous to be part of it. Um, I would love to see it grow because I want Christians to believe and mature, and I believe that when I preach to you that it does happen. Um, that's why I'm still doing it. That's why after 15 years, I haven't quit yet <laughs> uh, because it's not a fun job. I'll tell you that. I, I mean, it's, it's getting more fun for me. Uh, the older I get, I, I calm down a little bit. But, but I know that if we start having 25 new college students showing up from across the city, uh, you know, suddenly every week, we got so many logistical problems to deal with that that's, that's what would change. I mean, I would be ignoring you guys <laughs> to do the work that would show up here, which, well, you know, think about it. <laughs> uh, it's never worked that way. Being on YouTube has never grown my congregation. Uh, I, in fact, most people who come to my congregation don't even know I'm on YouTube until I get here, uh, unless they're just visiting, right? We have plenty of visitors, uh, very few direct, uh, direct converts, um, some who then convert through both or, or come, come into the congregation and, and have just loosely found me, but like, I'm waiting for that. Like they show up with Echo and they're like, thank you. And I, it hasn't happened. I've heard stories about it happening all over the place though. And this is the, the value of this, why I do this uh, is because I know that the the seed I'm throwing out there is as orthodox seed going to eventually convince you that you need an actual pastoral care, a shepherd who, who, who watches over you. You cannot simply rely on me spieling a combination of nonsense and Bible at you every week. You need to go and have someone who knows you, who understands your plight and your struggle and your suffering, and who can care for you in that. And I believe that me doing this long enough will get you to do that. So I continue doing this, trusting that the Unisancta, the church that exists out there, will, will catch you. Will catch you like that Ethiopian eunuch. So, um, so for that reason, I give a lot less thought right now to uh, status. Uh, and I'm more concerned about how to maintain reality, uh, especially with what I said earlier, dystopic horror. What if all the food supply goes away? E e EMP. There's fiction novels about this, by the way. It's what, why preppers prep is, is these reasons. I'm not going to become a prepper. I want to build a village of people who work with their hands and have a local sustainable economy so that when everyone else as communists destroy themselves, we can just feed each other. Um, that's, you know, and, and for, for that to happen here in any way, shape or form, that's my prayer and dream. Um, I don't think that going viral will help that. Honestly, I think that staying low viral, kind of what I am. Uh, can I coin that term? Soft viralism. Can I, can, <laughs> sorry, if that offends you, I'm really sorry. That's very inside baseball. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, staying at a slow growth as we are with mad Mondays. With, you know, I don't know what it is, 15 subscribers a week, kind of jumping on. The YouTube channel is 30 new subscribers a week. You know, the, the numbers are gradual, slow growth. Everything I've read about um, branding and business says that's what you really want. Because what it does is it enables you to handle the growth uh, tactily as a human being with a body. Um, whereas if you experience uh, exponential growth quickly, it's overwhelming and very easy to get caught up in it. So again, the answer to your question would be, I would be on all defenses, full alert, Batten down the hatches, close the windows, um, lock the doors, buy the property around me, build a wall, 
invite my best friends who are pastors in and talk about what to do next. You know, I mean, it, it would be highly don't get used by the glittering gold. That, that would be what it was, what it would be. So, you know, is it a prayer? Not really. Um, instead, my prayer is this <laughs> soft viralism uh, to kind of create. I I'd rather go worm. Oh, I like it. Mad, mad Christian worming. You know the difference between a worm and a virus? You should, and it has nothing to do with COVID. Scaring you. Scares. But a, a worm is like a virus on a computer, only different, because it doesn't infect the same way. I don't know a lot about it. Uh, but it, it, it crawls through things and digs in a little more than the virus does. And so uh, they can be quite damaging, in fact, these worms. Uh, so I'd rather be a worm in the YouTube ecosystem uh, than, than COVID in the, in the YouTube ecosystem. I don't want to get my, my gopher head smashed down. I'm just going to crawl on this bottom and I'm going to keep calling to all y'all who wants some common sense, who thought you were Christians and then you realized you're in like a communist enterprise at your church. And you're like, what? I would, but we were just singing to, I, it, okay, that's why I'm here. <laughs> it walk you through it on a low level. There's lots of back content. The Discord is the way to like figure out real-time strategy. Um, there's lots of good people to help you along with figuring out how to be a mad Christian, which just means loving the Bible where you are. And again, that gets harder and harder to do. Um, let's not go viral. Let's stay worms in the YouTube ecosystem. Ah, it is 1030 and we are through all of that, but we do still have at least a super chat here to go off on for a moment. Uh, let's see here. F7DGJA. Do I need to say the caps? Capital f 7 D. No, capital F7, Lordy, capital G, capital J, Lore says, for purposes of being able to read the Bible in Greek, can one learn to do so through books alone or would classwork be necessary? I think that books on Greek will teach you not to read Greek, um, but to try to translate Greek. And th- there's really a difference. Um, and th- so the grammar book is necessary. I would I would insist that a student who really wants to go deeper than just listening to me talk about it would need to get a grammar book. But I wouldn't say, now start on page one. Um, and I wouldn't say, go straight through. Because what the grammars want you to do is memorize all the forms. Old Latin style. Just sit there and memorize all the forms. And you know what? Once upon a time in the ancient of days, they were producing these dudes who were like, like reading and writing and even speaking Latin and Greek and German and French by the time they're 18. And then they all became liberals and destroyed the LCMS. Really? That's our history. Um, so anyway, memorizing all those forms, pages and pages of forms, I don't think is going to inspire you to keep doing it. <laughs> uh, as opposed to uh, what I would really recommend is having a Greek text open in front of the text uh, that, uh, that a preacher who's preaching on the Bible is talking about. And uh, then on your own, working just on pronunciation of, of what you see. Just read it out loud and don't know what it means. But for example, open to whatever epistle reading is going to be read at church this week on Sunday morning and just learn how to pronounce it in whatever way. There's two schools, sadly, but you know, pick one and um, just read it out loud without any comprehension, but knowing where it is. Go to church, listen, participate. Don't even worry about it. Come back, do it one more time. Just say it out loud. Start like that. And I was crazy, right? You're like, how's that going to work? Trust me. (laughs) It will. It'll take time. It'll be intuitive and you will love it. 
Um, but first, what you have to do is find the sounds that you're going to be able to reckon with as you try to deal with the difference between the Greek alphabet and, um, and uh, an English alphabet. So, and that's a decision you'll have to make on your own, which is, do you want to use the Greek alphabet when you write stuff down? Do you want to use the traditional English, um, uh, what do they call it? Verbalizations. That's not what it's called. Um, or do you want to be like me and create your own alphabet and your own, uh, you know, uh, 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 stylization of that alphabet that's kind of English Greek? Um, you can be crazy like that too. It, it doesn't matter, provided you can read the Greek text when you look at it. Right. That's that's what really matters. That you can you can voice the sounds because the way I would encourage you to learn Greek is by ear. By ear. Don't learn it by eyes. And that's where the book is is a secondary, not a primal. And if you're going to try to go at it with a book, you'll always be a secondary reader of the text. You need to hear the roots. You need to hear how the language operates. You need to hear how the word church isn't there, but the word called out as the word call is throughout the New Testament with all sorts of overtones and overlaps and ties that we miss in our ecclesiology because we're too busy chasing the word church and KJV and the Appalachians and saying it's the only way and let's handle snakes. And guys... Do you see the dark ages? Golly. Okay. So, so that's, that's my answer. Um, I think all of those books written by the imperialists, E imperialists, um, uh, were, uh, were va- are valuable resources. We have like lots of these great old reference resources, but I don't know that their habitus is, is where we want to go in terms of education. Um, I'm not convinced that Philip Melanchthon and, uh, and the entire Western school, uh, is is quite right, at least as we've received them. So when I say that, what do I mean? I mean that right now there's a battle between, say, classical education and Deweyite standard education. Uh, if you listen to Kuntz and me, you'll hear us talk about one-room schoolhouse education. Um, uh, there's homeschooling. You know, all of these uh, kind of different philosophies for how you pass forward what is valuable to the next generation. And as you notice, they're increasingly fractured because one of them's tied to the religion that runs the country. Uh, um, so as you think about, you know, uh, teaching at all, um, for me, what I see is that we're at the end of a very long experiment in trying to do platonic thought um, as our main teaching system uh, for a third time, right? A third enlightenment. And not all of it was bad, but a lot of it, when taken too far, becomes very bad. And that's what we see ramping up with uh, techne and the discovery of electrical magic uh, in the modern age, the late modern age. Um, and so uh, that world now sees information less as a body of knowledge and more as a machine of bits. And uh, so that's how then we've really inherited. I mean, it came out of the Platonic Revolution and it turned into this over-categorization, uh, over-categorization of everything. So rather than looking at the words, you're looking at all the words that are not going to show up in the Bible so you can learn the forms the words might have once or twice in the Bible. And you spend all this time on this, right? And you don't even ever get into it, get into the text itself. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so it, it is far more valuable to realize that language before it is written is heard. Always. And there's a reason for that. And there's a reason that the words mean what they mean. And they have to do with what those sounds reflected to the minds that were around them. And a lot of times with something as old as Hebrew, it even is an onomatopoeia. (laughs) Uh, So, um, so in that, then again, uh, what we'll do here is we're going to do pastor led. I don't, I still don't know how to pitch it. It sounds so terrible. We're going to do a pastor led biblical discussion of wisdom and prayer through 
pastor decided texts that will temper the community um, less as a display of knowledge and more as a an hour long build up to compline and prayer in which uh, whatever Bible you have open in front of you, you're going to know what some of those words mean quite a bit more for your own piety by the end. And that will include the Greek sound that if you wanted to be there with your Greek, you'd eventually learn as well. And it's a long game. It's a long game. I'm, I'm planning on my members being around for 30 years. I got, I, you know, God can take me out whenever he wants, but you know, better odds. I got 30 years. And so, you know, let's do it. You know, let, let's, let's start a revolution. So sadly, the classes only are going to be uh, <laughs> live. I'm not going to try to stream this because this is, that's the opposite of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm founding a school and it is, it is the school of mad Christian Greek reading. <laughs> I don't know what I want to call it. I do know what I want to call it. It's it's the St. Paul uh, School for Fathers in Prayer. Uh, and uh, But it's just, it, that's too big of an idea. What I want to inspire you to do is not to move to Rockford and join my school. Although, yeah, I do. But but what I want you to do is where you are, find where you are. Stop thinking that my story far away is better than your story that's near. You have a story that's near. And for such a time as this, God puts you right where you are, right where your feet stand right where your baptism makes you whole. And you have your own version of whatever I'm doing there. Now, if our paths happen to cross in the future in real life, our bodies get to run into each other. That's kind of awesome. Huh? Uh, but that's also the weird magical mystical age we live in where like I send the sorcery of my face across time and space to beam out of your box and tell you I am your friend. Uh, I don't know. Why would you believe me? Uh, thankfully it's because I do preach Christ to you thank you for supporting me as I do that you can do that by going to Patreon Rev Fisk is my name there and uh, five bucks a month is what most people do Um, some people give a little more some people give a little less what matters is you're supporting everything else that's going on so that's the production cycle that's my income Um, I, I work for a church too but these things make the wheels go around in this house and out of that, what do you get? You get a brief history of power. You get Mad Mondays, which I barely talked about already. Mad Mondays is the newsletter that you need in your email inbox every single week because it's going to remind you to like pray in Lent and like it'll tell you about the crazy stuff that's happening, but in a way that reminds you that it's all a story from far away. Mad Mondays, sign up at redfist.com slash newsletter. Um, and since I did that, I've now forgotten everything else I was going to pitch. I had a list in my head at the time that I was going to pitch. 1036. I'm going to start rolling back through the comments because we are done with the officially planned programming, but we got time. So if I see a question mark, I will do my best to pull that thing up. Here we go. Hold on. I made you hear the gurgle that time. All right. So uh, Darth Mick says this. He says, wouldn't Duolingo teach modern Greek, not biblical Greek? You may be talking about Duolingo on the uh, on the, the sidebar probably. Um, yeah, I believe it would. It would not teach Koine. So there are there's at least three Greeks, probably more if you want to be a nerd about it. But there's three major forms of Greek that you should be aware of in antiquity. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. Modern Greek would not be in antiquity. In antiquity, there's at least two I can talk about. One is what's called Koine. It's the Hellenistic Greek that ran the Roman Empire. Koine, or common tongue Greek, right? Latin was for the nobles, and common Koine was for them plebes everywhere else. And uh, uh, so before that, going back past Alexander to Homer, you got ancient Greek. It's like 500 years. There's a lot of change in the language. Roots are the same, right? There's development, and but it's it's being turned into a modern language through the Roman Empire does change the way it operates. In fact, some words completely shift. And then you have the issue of you're not just reading Koine Greek, you're reading the New Testament. 
And the New Testament is influenced not only by what the pagans said Greek meant, but the translation of the Old Testament into Greek by the Alexandrian expatriate Jews uh, 500 years before Christ. But that Septuagint, as it's called, Old Testament, was the dominant is the dominant text quoted in the New Testament. So it can also tell us what the Hebrew words mean and vice versa, although as you, you dig into it, there's uh, there's man's awful hands all over the whole thing. So it's, it's not as clear as you'd want it to be as a, what, a typeset modernist. But what it is, is a testimony of God's ability to move his spirit through these same words and these same truths throughout history. Because what you find, again, is that golden thread of uh, mercy, not sacrifice all the time. And it's unavoidable. Even with the confusion, it's unavoidable. The power of the Word of God is so strong to demonstrate its, its real story that even the weeds become kind of part of the part of the landscape, right? And don't tear up the tears, as, as he says. Um, anyway, I may have gone a little too far there uh, in, in my, my metaphor, so forgive me if I did. Uh, oh, I want to say this about Duolingo too. Um, so for, for Greek sounds, though, by the way, it probably would work pretty well to introduce you to Greek sounds in the Greek alphabet. Be aware, we used to use Duolingo for, for our kids, and they've gotten more woke. So, I don't know. Do you need do you need to be woke to learn Greek? Apparently. I, I don't know now. I do know. So, we don't use it anymore. It, it doesn't matter that much. They've taken it about as far as they could. It's a great resource for introducing a kid to a language. I don't know that it's real good for final, final overcoming. Um, all right. Uh, Luke Bowman says this. How does one approach certain Greek words and phrases with stronger attestation in the larger body of the Greek language that some theologians debate means the traditional meaning should be null? One word at a time. Yeah. So I'd need like a word to go on and an idea of what that was to really, really show you. But let me say this. Okay. So when you finally have enough basic knowledge to see a Greek word and like maybe look at that Greek word in the Greek dictionary and read for some of its basic meaning, you're going to find that, like the English dictionary, there's all sorts of, actually, debate over what the word means. We call those divergent meanings, but those would be debate over the meaning initially. (laughs) The the word got used in a different way, and eventually it caught on. Um, And so that exists as a studied history put together by men from a prior generation in multiple resources, and the Protestant world, for all of its problems all of its idolatries that it has was very, very good at this. And so, you know, the way you do this is you go and you study the word and its actual history. And especially, let me contend, that when you find a Greek word in the New Testament, if you will take it and find the Septuagint um, word that is the, the Greek word there, but find the verse that it's in, and then go find that word in the Hebrew and discover what that word means in the Hebrew, it will make the New Testament verse make sense. <laughs> I guarantee it. And you don't even have to argue that much. You do get to some Hebrew words that we don't know what they mean. And even there, it never becomes, well, the person who's going to go out and use an individual Greek word to try to overthrow Christianity, this guy's a fool. This guy's a fool. What you find instead is that Christianity exists just as it does in English, only richer. Richer by far, because English is such a polluted language by profanity at this point. We have, we have profaned the truth out of our ability to talk. And I would contend that in your workspace, maybe, but in your political climate, definitely nobody ever tells the actual truth. Everybody always projects a preferred truth. This would be called prophecy in former religious ages. And this meandering of false prophets in fight for the the right to glorify themselves for a generation, uh, well, 
this lying climate means that the English that we're in, that we use and hear and listen to, is increasingly being d- divided and devoided of its substance. Uh, that it is harder to tell the truth in English than it used to be. And the only way it will be, again, is if you recapture the words in a community that closes itself, to some extent, to stories from far away that pollute the language. You have to then uh, have that language mean something that, well, you all agree it means. So where do you go, Luke, to find out who uh, says what it means? I go to the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament for my Greek, and uh, it is the absolute paragon, 250 books, uh, bucks, excuse me, 250 bucks, uh, it's, like, it's like 10 volumes um, uh, Kittle, uh, referred to as Kittle, bar none, the absolute final say on kind of uh, the pinnacle of Western civilization's ability to objectively study this. <laughs> and everything since has been propaganda one way or the other. You go back to that thing and your Christianity will never be in doubt with what you find in the text. You're only going to find greater and greater truth. And what do they do? I mean, again, they give you every possible history of every word that's there, from the ancient Greek to the Septuagint to a Hebrew uh, uh, versions to the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, it's all there in that vol- in, in that, that text. And by the time you look through that, if you still want to listen to some guy spout nonsense about how Jesus ain't justifying anybody because of the meaning of righteousness or something, I mean, it's just, I don't know why you even listen to that, right? Why are you even going to listen to this? Why are you defending? That's a better question. How does one approach certain Greek words and phrases that some theologians debate means the traditional meaning should be no? Why are you listening to any theologian who would debate that what the Bible says should be null unless they're trying to undo the heresy that has obscured Jesus? <laughs> Very clearly, right? Um, it seems to me there's something wrongheaded in defending ourselves against scoffers as if we could. Uh, that just is giving them the time they don't deserve in my mind. Uh, more and more. I continue to scroll backwards, see if there's any more question marks. We got to that one earlier. <laughs> oh, we just had a straight up super chat from Joe here. Thank you, Joe, for the, the straight gift. Appreciate that very much. Let's see here. Yeah, I'm not seeing questions. A lot of great conversation, guys. Here, oh, here we go. Luke Smith at the bottom says this. Oh, could you discuss? Worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. The Reformed, that's a broad topic, so I'm not always comfortable calling them something, but the Reformed, he says, often present it as one means you feel guilty because of consequences and the other means you feel really guilty. (laughs) And stop doing it because it hurts God. For reals! Obey! Obey! Um, You hear the the sacrifice and not the mercy in that. Um, God, I'm knocking everything all over the place. Uh, but what if we feel the latter but struggle to stop? Right. So what you're saying is when someone teaches you you can actually be perfect, it hurts your feelings. Yeah. And and that's that makes sense because you can't. And so you put yourself on a rat wheel that you can never do. Now, do the Reformed officially teach you that you can save yourself? I would be hesitant to ever say such a thing. However, I will say that generally Reformed theology as a Chalcedonian heresy, which means you're not going to hell in my mind, but you definitely are off base on a trajectory, um, that that destruction of the sacrament as the place where grace through faith alone in Christ alone comes to you in bodily time and space means you must go back to legalism eventually and most reformed communions in practice ultimately do and anyone who's converted to Lutheranism out of the reformed says this I've not done that so I just got to take their word for it but I here it is right here it is so there's worldly sorrow which means you just feel bad because you got in trouble right and there's godly sorrow which means you really feel bad but not because you got in trouble. You feel bad because you're doing it right for God, but not because you got in trouble. 
It's because what was wrong was wrong, but you're just going to know that. So, I mean, it seems like splitting a hair in an attempt to try to convince you to try again. And what I would rather do is believe <laughs> that if you're in church and have sorrow for your sin, you know what you're talking about way more than I do. And if you have any sorrow for your sin, I don't care why you're sorry. I'm happy that you're sorry. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ is the sufficiency that you may know it shall not separate you from God on the day of justice when he will advocate for you on behalf of his atonement in your place. And so now I suggest you should get up and try again to be a good person because you feel sorry, because you know the consequences of your sin. You see that against God, only God, have you actually sinned. And you understand what that means. You see the consequences of your sin. And you repent of it. And can you do that perfectly? No, you repent like a dog in the vomit. I want more of this. Oh, my sin. You look over your shoulder all the time. Which is why when I teach you that you could actually stop it, it would only crush you. So if you listen, I never teach you that. I hope. Call me on it if I do. I've been worried about it lately because I'm encouraging you to actually try things, right? And I'm, I'm concerned you might hear me saying that and say, well, he's, he thinks I can overcome my sin. No. What you can do is understand that a mature Christian understands the consequences of his sin and prefers not to let it get out of hand because he understands what it will do when his pride and vanity lead his mouth and his mouth leads his body. And he knows that the ultimate fire for all comes from this. And so because of those consequences and knowing the better consequence of the resurrection of Jesus, well, I will feel guilty with pride (laughs) and throw it all at the feet of Jesus and say, I got nothing here at all. And if you need me to discern between the right kind of sorrow and the wrong kind of sorrow in order to justify my heart, I'm going to die. Praise be to Jesus. He can be my judge. Now, Does the Bible talk about two kinds of sorrow? Yes, it does. What are they? Unbelief and belief. End of story. Like I should just go and go on to the next question, but I don't know if there is a next question. So I'll talk about it more. But that was it right there. Worldly sorrow is unbelief. Godly sorrow is belief. Count it all joy, my brothers, when we face trials of many kinds. You know, the testing of your faith produces endurance, right? Godly sorrow understands that nothing bad happens that isn't in God's control and so believes. That's the difference. Whereas worldly sorrow believes it can stop it and just tries harder to stop it until it burns itself to death in insane craziness, right? Unbelief and belief. It's not about different versions or levels or tiers of Christianity. Wherever you get in somewhere where they're talking about tiers of Christianity, I hope the more I encourage you to actually put works into practice in your Christian walk, the more you also believe there's no tears. <laughs> we had a little conversation about fruit checking in, in the Discord and um, I, I don't like that term at all. I, 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 God help us whenever we're fruit checking. God help us when we're looking over our back to see what good works we did so we can know we're doing better. That's pride again. And when that runs a community, it's really destructive. But God preserve us from rotten fruit. I mean, in the same vein, right? Like two sides to this horse, friends. God preserve us from rotten fruit that we don't care about. God prefer, preserve us from wallowing in our rotten fruit. God preserve us from hearing God say that's rotten fruit and us going, no, it's not. God preserve us from that. How do you do that? Well, I mean, the fruit does need to be checked, just not by your opinion. The fruit needs to be checked by the exegetical preaching of the word of God. That will check your fruit. You will be like a man who looks in a mirror and you will be unable to walk away and forget who you are. 
You will go away and you will see who you are as an evil man. You will go away and you will believe who you are as a righteous man because Christ says so. And both will be true. And the Christian walk before you will again be in pleasant places even if they're crucifying you because you'll know what it means. You'll know why. (laughs) You'll have eyes to see. I'd say that might be what godly sorrow is, is eyes to see. And it sees the consequences. But I could say this, that there is a direction you will start to look where you will realize the consequences of your actions that are sinful are not merely a problem for you. And the Christian really is free to see that because we know it's not a problem for you on judgment day. Like Jesus got you. You're fine. Okay. So you can see now, where's the problem? Everybody else you just did it to. That's the problem. Can you work on that? Can you not do that again? Like for them, not for you, not for justification, not to be godly sorrow, some kind of nonsense where you believe you're going to save yourself. And this it's the only lie is rely on you. That's broken again. It's the only lie. You're going to save yourself. All right. So I feel like there's a question over here, but not as much. Let's see. Looks like the fear of the Lord's may be coming up. Uh, Paul asked a question. Let's see here. Uh, there we go. Yeah, Paul says, in Discord, I noticed you asked about Proverbs 1.7, and I wanted to add that the Hebrew word for fear in that verse also used to mean see. I haven't looked into that. Irath. Irath. It's, it's a potent word. Um, Riskit chimes in and says there's not really one word or definition to fear in Hebrew. Um, it could mean terror. It could mean reverence. It could mean fear. Yeah, I think what, what he was getting at there, what Paul was getting at, is the etymology again. So the history of the word, um, that's what I'm always digging for because modern scholars don't agree with me on this. I'm, I'm on my own school on this one. But basically they say that the etymology falls away because the new meaning in in the society um, uh, replaces the old meaning. So if you can imagine a time where the word cool no longer meant cold, but only meant awesome. That's sort of what they're proposing. Uh, and that this happens etymologically. Now, I think you probably have some places where this does happen. But with most of the biblical texts, what I'm noticing, like our, our, our language that should be our dogma, the more you can find the etymological root in the Hebrew and then press it forward in the New Testament, the more beautiful the original thing just shows you how the, the current meaning is. So, so let's do this with fear here for a moment. I, I don't know. Um, I haven't looked into this uh, this the way Paul has, but um, fear, astonishment, terror, when's the first time that ever happens in history? Well, it's, it's when they hear God and try not to see him, right? Um, so, you know, there's always a, a root somewhere deeper in the Old Testament where the etymology kind of shows you where it's gone and then you can bring it forward again so that the fear of the Lord, the fear of Jesus being the beginning of knowledge then can be seen as seeing Jesus rightly for who he is. And if you see him for who he is, you as a poor miserable sinner will be afraid of him until you know you're his son and then you will fear him in filial fear, that is a son's fear. Um, you'll see him as he rightly is. They're not distinct from each other, right? But it's more than to just see. And as, as Risky pointed out, this is very important This is kind of my entire point is, you know, we often will translate two or three words and Septuagint did this too. They'll take two or three or seven words and translate them all with the same word in Greek, probably because the Greek was so poor, didn't have a way to distinguish. But for us now, just to to assume that the original word doesn't mean what it meant, right? And to lose that, I think that's a great mistake. Um, So fear of the Lord 
period, I think we have to understand is the Old Testament language we're talking about faith, or maybe not even Old Testament, it's the Davidic and then prophetic language for talking about what it means to believe in the true God. And that means that when you see the evil societies around you, you understand what he's going to do to them, and thus you fear him and pray for the city in which you dwell on his behalf, for it's in its good you will find your good, right? And so uh, the beginning of wisdom, that is how you live as a Christian in this life, walking into the faith, starts with rightly assessing who God is. And that will involve some actual fear. And I'm one of those nuts who will contend that if you don't think the fear of the Lord means actual fear, and you've spent time trying to tell people it doesn't mean terror, it doesn't mean fear ever, I think you're wrong. I think it should. I think we should absolutely tremble in our boots before the living God in holy terror. That's why a person would kneel. That's why they would kneel. It's because you're actually aware that you deserve far worse and you should be afraid of it if only to recognize the glory that's been taken away from you in the cross. Uh, to see the depths of your fall so you might see the heights to which he has raised you up. And that is the fear of the Lord and I would call it uh, is a value uh, inestimably so. And the more you try to make it not be terror, um, the more you're going to lose the faith side of it, yeah? So yeah, Paul says that you're not uh, used for to fear and to see. That's all I'm saying, yeah. So again, the, you know, in, in all these languages, there's going to be nuance in the words. That's where you get the meat, though. So when you see there's like actually a pun going on because of the nuance that Jesus is doing, right? Like that's pretty solid stuff usually. It, it fills you up and makes you hungry for more. Um, the Holy Spirit within you will desire to be filled with what the scriptures actually say. And the more that you imbibe it, the more the hunger will be there. Um, how do you destroy that hunger? You resist that. You reject that. You um, go off and choose evil things, even though you know it says not to do that. A proverb that's been on my mind this week the most, I didn't write it down. Uh, it's in the middle of 19. Was it 1923? He who strays from the words of knowledge will forget. That's not what it says, but it's like that. Um, and it, we leak. We leak. The idea that I can somehow just believe in Christ and then walk out the rest of my life and not be fed is uh, the height of foolery. Oh, Brian's still here. Hey, Brian, you got time for a chat? Call me on Skype, man, if you got time for a chat. Uh, when we fear the Lord, we don't fear anything else. Um, we need to do five, seven minutes here if you want to call. Shamrack talks about fruit checking. Rustlin YouTube channel has posted many conversations with Bryce and Gray. So I don't even know what that means, but I'm fruit checking. One must esteem one's own works. One must look at what you have done and decide whether it was good or evil. One should use the scriptures alone to do that, and one should do it believing in mercy rather than sacrifice, believing that you would check your fruit not to see if God loves you or to see if you're really a Christian, but to see how you might be a better Christian than you were. Uh, because that's all that Christianity is going to be for you until Jesus returns, is maturity, maturing. And you don't even know what that means. You know, you're going to look back 10 years from now and be like, I thought I was mature then. And it's going to happen like every 10 years, forever. <laughs> Even in paradise, I'm not so sure that the maturing is going to go away. So like, just realize that your God is the God who gives more. Your God is the God who gives. That Christ on the cross is the gift, the good and perfect gift that came down from heaven itself. That he is here to absorb you, to draw you into himself, to leave you uh, not forsaken. And that this will mean the inspiration of your body by his words the inspiration of your heart, your mind, your soul, by his words. And that those words as exchange, as symbol, as, as more than symbol, as, as substance, uh, sound waves bouncing around between us throughout history. Uh, imagine if it's light coming from us, right? Instead of it being like a sound wave, imagine it's like a laser beam shooting from your mouth to everybody's ears all the way down through history. Boom, 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 boom. And that is the Holy Spirit's work together, call enlightenment, his, his assembly, his assembly, his church, his church. 
Um, only going to be done with the resurrection of Jesus. Ultimately, that doesn't mean the cross didn't pay for your sins. It does mean that you're immortal now. It does mean that, uh, that the atoning work of Christ is all sufficient, that on judgment day there will be no price to pay but the debt of love that you will get to receive and owe to your neighbors for the rest of eternity under Christ's side and in God's kingdom. Uh, what a thing to believe, right? What a place to stand in a world where everybody else is running around trying not to die. Is, did I just get a call? Did I just call? Did I miss it? Oh, here it is. Hey, okay, so let's see if we get a call to come in. Uh, Jesus Christ has left you here so that you would not be afraid of everything else in the world that's going to kill you. Hey, there's Brian. Let's see here. Get him in here. Good morning, Brian. You've been around all morning, hanging out. What have you been talking about over there? I haven't seen yours as much. Are you there? Uh-oh. I'm here. There you go. Hey. What you been talking about in the comments is interesting. We were talking about we were talking about the fear of God. i got to figure out which way to look at the thing here. You got it. And um, I think you're right about this. So, I, I sorry, I'm uh, jumping in here uh, maybe a little bit late, but you were right about that we got to keep talking about terror, mm. right? But I think I think we get distracted when it comes to the fear of God, because we focus on the fear part and and don't just recognize that we all are always fearing. Yeah, yeah, we yeah are, that's good. That's good. We're we're fearing and we're loving and we're trusting things. It's our anthropology. So the yeah. question is not fear, but the question is where do we put our fear? And so that's why this the Lord says, "Hey, me and me alone." So so that. So that the perfect love is cast. There's a way, even that perfect fear is casting out fear. So that when we fear the Lord, we say, "Well, sh- should I also fear death or sickness or whatever?" And the Lord says, "Nope, just me. I alone get your fear." So I think that's a point that, that it, we miss most of the time. I think that's the a super the valuable part of it. A super valuable, and to see then. So if we're all fearing all the time, this gets into where I'm like, it's all worship all the time. What, what you're fearing is what you're worshiping. And everyone who's fearing everything else is pantheism. They're, they're fearing nature. And they're running away from nature as if it's God. They're even going to save their poor God nature who's dying uh, through the green movement. And yet the fear of Jesus, right? If you fear him more, like right. the planet can blow up and you're all right, actually. That you're all right. Yeah? yeah. So there's no, it's one of the things that, so I was on, um, you know CPH has a podcast, by the way? I, I, I don't. I found out my district does, but I didn't know CPH does. CPH. I was on there this last week, and um, we were, they were asking about what's happening, how the culture's falling apart, right? Huh. So what do we do with that? And, um, and I said, well, what, you know, what we don't do is we don't get angry. We're not authorized to be angry. We don't get afraid. We're not authorized to be afraid. But I think this is what's happening. As we see the world falling apart, that's the devil tempting us to be afraid, and that's that's idolatry. There's nothing to be afraid of. We might be sad that everyone that God created us as human beings, and now we're running around acting like animals. But uh, that's a sadness. But it's not a. There's not a fear there yeah. because we fear the Lord. I mean, I don't know. My my carnal flesh feels it, so I'll, I'll say that it, that it comes on me. Um, I'm. I don't know that I agree that that we're not allowed to be angry. Uh, I think that we're not supposed to act in our anger, but I think that. There's a difference between, like when, when we see bad things happen and we get angry, generally if you, if you pare it back and see where you're afraid, you're actually angry at God, and that really is bad. Like you're mad that God let it happen, and that's super bad. But there's a point, I think, where you will experience anger with God, but like you've just said, it ends up not really coming out the way man's anger does. Yeah. I would say it's, it's more like 
I've said this before. Anger is when the Christian practices gentleness, uh, that he, that he, he has the potential and maybe even the right to crush, but does not. Yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, um, uh, I had, I had another part to kind of conclude that, um, Oh, courage. I think courage is part of that. So when a man does not run, but stands, he's both afraid and angry, but his fear and anger are in the right place. And, right. and so there's, there's a place in which I still want to let anger get taken away from us. I love the way James says it in, in your anger. Do not sin. There it is. Yeah, I think I was working on this. I mean, this is an old thing we've talked about before, the difference between the anger of person and the anger of office. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. And so there's there's anger, there's offices that are given to anger, like a soldier or a policeman mm-hmm. or a judge. And the, and their whole vocation is to be angry with <laughs> injustice and so forth. Because justice is about uh, anger at wickedness. But now, but the Christian, the office of Christian is not an office of anger. <laughs> but sometimes a Christian will be a parent Right or right. a soldier or whatever, and so you you have you, we have multiple offices in multiple locations. But as a That's person good. and as a Christian, I'm not authorized to anger. As a parent, as a, maybe even as a citizen, I am maybe. I'm that's the a tricky part. So so do I have an office of anger where it is authorized, and that's the anger of God because yeah. it's according to office. Yeah. But if it's if I'm personally offended by something, then I don't have the. Uh, that's where Jesus says that's where you turn the other cheek, especially. If I'm being sinned against, I mean, that's what cre- creates anger, right, when I'm sinned against. But if I'm being sinned against as a Christian, then the, my recourse is the justice of God, not my own. I have to, leave, as Paul says, I have to leave room for wrath. Yeah. So I can't try to close the, the justice gap myself. I have to leave room for the Lord to come in there with his vengeance. Well, then that's, that's where, what you're talking about with, so, with the patience, right? Yeah, it is. And it's where I'm going to say that where we then should put our angry anger <laughs> Uh, is when the Psalms call it up and, and to let it be there uh, in those Psalms that are imprecatory and right. uh, to trust that God will discern the difference and lay it out rightly in Jesus' name and through those words form us into, uh, I would say, a, a hesitant hand. You know, David writes these Psalms and he knows how to not kill Saul. Uh, right. he, he knows what that means. Um, right. To kind of, uh, same direction, I think, but different different symbols. Um, there was a conversation with uh, my son recently about sassing and involved my son and my daughters, but it was about sassing. And I noticed that like the detailing of the different types of talk, the English words for describing which ones were right and which ones were wrong. were getting a bit convoluted for his 10 year old brain. Right. Uh, and, and so I slowed it all down. I said, hold on, hold on. Here. How's this? When someone does evil to you, do good back. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you know, do not repay evil for evil, but repay evil with good. And he went, I get it. <laughs> I don't know means he's going to do it. Right. But like <laughs> the simplicity of Jesus language uh, is beginning to strike me more and more when, with these kinds of conversations where we want to, we want to make it hard. And he's yeah. like, look, you're a person. And we're like, we're arguing. Can I be angry? He's like, do good. Don't right. do evil. When evil is done to you, that's when you're going to get angry. Do good. Then yeah. there's a, um, I mean, I don't know how many times I've had this conversation in, in the context of pastoral care. Is someone will be hurt or offended or troubled or whatever, and they're just wrestling around with what that means. And um, and I said, well, "Oh, you have an enemy." <laughs> yeah. Like, oh wow. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know. And I said, "And now it's really helpful just to know that you have an enemy because now you know how to treat them." To oh, love them, to pray for them, to do good to them, to bless yeah. them. Those are the four things that Jesus says a Christian does to their enemy. Oh, and that's pretty, 
it's startling the simpli- the, the the clarity and simplicity of, of the Lord's words. But in a, so, in a shame yeah, culture, right. in a shame and cancel culture, you're not really allowed to have an enemy. This is a weird thing. Like everyone gets like shouted down, like to cancel stuff. But the average man's ability to believe in enemies, I think, is largely stripped away from us. Like you're not allowed to think of that as as something, and it's helpful, like you just said, to really be like, oh, that person is like like at, at the office, right? That person is my enemy. Right. And then and then to realize, like, in the world, that'd be like, okay, now I'm going to get him, right? But your religion is the other way around. Right. Uh, and that this That's is right. superpower, man. This is literally a superpower to think this way. No one else can do this. It's and I, I, I think, and you, you can push back on this, but I think that when we talk about what we're authorized to do, the Christian is not authorized to consider another person to be there. Like, we are not authorized to target someone as the enemy. Yeah. But yeah. to recognize that when someone targets us as the enemy, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, good. So our battle, Ephesians five, our battle is sorry, Ephesians six. Our battle is against is not against flesh and blood, but against the demons and so forth. Yeah. So, so we don't we're never we're never authorized to declare war on another person, but we can recognize it when someone's declared war on us, mm. and then we know just now we and now we know what to what to do, we, yeah. and we know how this whole thing works. Well, that's so interesting. Yeah. As I think about it now, because I've reckoned, especially this this last year, uh, springtime, winter, I've been reckoning with what it means to have an enemy and uh, even praying against my enemies with intention. Um, but as I, I, I piece this through what you just said there, yeah, every single one of those situations is what I'd rather not be it. Like like the idea here is is uh, when I pray, you know, Lord, could we reconcile? Uh, could this be something where they understand? And yet what what's amazing, though, Brian, is that I also see exposing itself that they're not my enemy. They're, they're right. Jesus' enemy. You know, yeah, they really don't hate me that much. I mean, I'm, I'm a hateable. Don't get me wrong, but that's not really what they're saying about. <laughs> that's, that's not the real problem. I mean, if someone hates you, it's just a small thing, you know. Yeah, but right. it's the it's the hatred against God. It's the it's the sin against God. That's what matters. Uh, so, I mean, this is what Jesus says when he says, "The world hated me first. Hmm. So that the true hatred that we suffer is that is the hatred of Jesus. It's there's no there might be a distinction, but there's certainly no separation between between that so will you so say that, something that, about uh, uh i did not come to bring peace but a sword what are your thoughts on that well, yeah yeah i mean that's it but 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 paul also says insofar as it's possible with you live at peace with all men yeah so we are the ble- we are the peace we're seeking the lord's blessings for being peacemakers that's always our that's the christian instinct um and and that involves a lot of strength and a lot of patience and I think you used the word before already. A lot of courage mm-hmm. to be a to 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 be a peacemaker where the world is especially violent. I mean, and getting more and more violent. And so the sons of violence take it by force. Uh, and then again, it was the end of James three. I think this week that we just did. We're doing it for Lent. Uh, the fruit of peace is sown in righteousness by those who do peace or who make peace. So, uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, he's down there at St. Paul Austin as well as at the Worldwide Wolfmiller. You can find him just by putting his name in Google, probably. And he's going to move to Montana soon, leaving Austin for Montana apparently with the uh, with the. <laughs> I was up there, and the guys, oh, Colorado! Look at that. The guys gave me. Uh... I went up to Montana to do a pastors' conference, and they gave me a bottle of whiskey and this hat. That's a great hat. So... It's a great hat. Where, where were you at? What part of Montana? I mean, it's a big place. Do you remember? You would ask. I, I well, I was, I'm just curious. I got people that are friends like moving out that way. Like there's emigration. There's Lutheran emigration happening to Wyoming, Idaho. I don't know about Montana, but I know Wyoming and Idaho are seeing people move out, out there. Um, 
and probably from Austin, right? Because Austin is is the heart of the beast where you are. What do you think? What's it Look, like? I, Austin is about to be the center of the world in a lot of ways, um, because Texas is like Montana, and Austin is like Silicon Valley and New York. Right. And so it's a re- so and the edge. So we're we're in Round Rock, you know, north of Austin, and so we're in the in the briny water where the where the river and the ocean meet. It's it's a fascinating place. I, it's just I couldn't be more delighted to be. Streets right. of Babylon, it's, man. Streets of Babylon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how's uh, how's the housing market down there? People moving in, moving out. What do you hear? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's nuts. So I think our house went up like thirty percent in value. In, so we bought it like a year and a half ago. Right. Crazy, right. crazy, right. crazy. Right. I mean, what Elon Musk moved here, Apple moving is moving their headquarters here. So it's just it's very it's becoming a really huge tech place. So all these people are moving in, and uh, ten years till twenty thirty. That's all I got on that. Oh goodness. Wait, crazy. say that again. Ten, ten years till twenty thirty. Uh, the Davis stuff. If you haven't been following it, you don't want to. Okay. It's just it's it's a they got a platform for the singularity. They want to all become you know robots and save the world and have us all eat soybeans. It's weird, but they really, they talk about it in public. Like they really think this, it's a religion. You know, so I, I was, I heard you mention something about that earlier. Uh, I, I've been talking with Dr. Greg Schultz. I don't know if you know him, the philosopher. I, from... I don't know him as well, but my wife listened to you and then bought his book. So, <laughs> so I'm getting him that way. Yeah. He, he, we did a conversation a couple of weeks ago about the limits of science, which is great. I mean, he's, t- he's quoting Wittgenstein's Tractatus on how science can't know God, the soul, ethics or beauty mm. which is a really nice list of things to have so yeah, yeah. just to know that if you're a say it again you, you have ignorance of this but we did like a few years ago we i did a series of interviews with him called the 10 master metaphors of uh, philosophy and he was talking about Searle's room huh. I, I i need to go back and look at it but it's this idea it's this i think an asian philosopher and and it was it was it was wrestling with the question is are we computers Mm-hmm. And that is the anthropology that has taken over in the tech yeah. world, and, yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. and it's starting to press in. But it is, it's not defensible. I mean, we are not simply information machines. There's something so much more uh, to us than that. But he really took that apart beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I should send you that. We, maybe we'll, that would be a, a fun one to post up on the. Well, back and the, the idea there. of that uh, anthropology being mechanical that's exactly what when i say i reject modernism and that's what i'm doing man. I, I am so against this idea that our bodies can be separated from everything else that we do and that's what they're trying to believe in and do now what i will say though i also believe that the skynet power of media is such that humans when they don't have jesus christ are like computers and whatever program goes into their head is going to be what runs them and so uh, they're banking on their ability to run your program through their apps because they're addictive. They're drugs that also manipulate your thoughts. And so in that regard, I think we need to be a little more, be wary of this. Again, you were here earlier, stories from far away, right? Right, right, right. This religion is a story from far away, and it's going to be right around your corner because you're like at the heart of a national battle. That's for me, is still a story from far away. Well, I'm in Illinois. That's a story from far away for most people. Uh, yeah. Could- could you think of it this way? So just on the anthropology, and I'm just and now I'm just brainstorming here, but instead of seeing us as an, having the ability to run a program, if we go back to the Garden of Eden, is that we are we are we have the ability as human beings to be impressed with a type That's or good. with an image. Yeah, yeah. So the Lord stamps us with His image. We're lost, but so we're stampable. 
we're typable. So not, I, I wouldn't say that that's a program, but we can be shaped. Into, and so, like King David teaches us to pray that the idols are deaf and dumb, and those who worship them become like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the the stories are able to imprint on us. So I would say that um, the devil operates a lot more like what people want anthropology to be. That he's kind of like a bad algorithm. He's a bad program. He actually can't create his way out of his problem. All he can do is continue to decline in his own, you know, self-created destruction, which is a virus that he is. Um, whereas the Christian uh, has been redeemed from this, as you say, rebought with the image of Christ, uh, given a new type, and restored to something that was given to men in the first place, which is to receive that impression and then be a creative forwarder of that impression. So the, the man in Christ now has an ability to be more than a program, uh, that we are truly free. And, and your idea of you know, being impressed with types that in, inhabit us as thoughts, um, I still think it's helpful to see just how creaturely we are in this, though. And so you know, a computer is a bad, bad replica of a man. Uh, but this in, out of information or word, knowledge, wisdom that forms how we think, um, it's just a lot... Uh, it's a lot more like programming than people realize. And they even called it, when you turn it on, you have a schedule for the programming that you watch. If you just kind of let it all work uh, for the Skype net, or for the Skype net, for the um, Skynet matrix, uh, the evil tech demonic media that's trying to run the world and we all think it's the Illuminati. Um, what it is, is trying to convince you, as you've said, uh, uh, that you are just a program and that their programming will help you be better. And yeah. yeah, and you want to be freed by that uh, from How, that, impressed with the image of Christ. Just a, it's an amazing thought that we that that we are created in such a way that we can we can embody the lies that we that we listen to. You must. The tongue leads the body. So 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 that if you think that you're a computer, you become one. If you think that you're an animal, you become one. Yeah, yeah. If you think that you're whatever, you. You know, if you think you're the, the the kind of witch of Endor, you become. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you believe you're a son of God raised in Jesus Christ, well, you already are one. You are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's something beautiful about being a creature, and there's something really unbeautiful about man trying to make his own creations replace him. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty ugly uh, as it comes and, down to it. And, and and so this, I mean, you know, the great New Age lie that you can that you can change the world by your own thoughts and intentions and everything mm-hmm. it it's a lie not because it's not true it's it's <laughs> but true. it's because it's a lie yeah i mean yeah. You, you know it's a the, uh the, and this i i think this needs to be pressed a little bit further because you, you know i mean the the egyptians could all the ma- the magicians in egypt could also do magic correct, correct and uh and so there's a great mystery to the world. And so we're dealing with things. I mean, if we reduce everything to something, well, that's true or that's false, uh, then that is not yet enough. We have not, we, we are not exercising mm-hmm. true wisdom. I mean, that's, that, that then is not mishpat, which is where you start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bible proposes an unseen world that we cannot see that impacts the world we do see. And Christians can believe it's working for our good. But again, it, it, it posits an unknown, an inequivalent exchange of reality. There are things you cannot see or test and never will, no matter how hard you try them or you try them or you destroy yourself. And believing that is, again, incredibly free, that the whole thing is spinning in a grand orchestra to turn darkness into light through a tomb. Yeah? And then that, that enables you to really see what's near you again. Uh, and again, I, I say this, I feel like I just spoke gobbledygook, so I hope it made sense. That, you know, but then your neighbor 
your neighbor is right in front of you when you come out the other side of this this uh, testing the programming against the spirit of the scriptures and finding how little you had when you were like trying to watch these stories from far away and replacing that with the new I've called it in my own head an algorithm but it's more than that so you're you're, you're pushing back in a good way but intentionally creating the algorithm in my daily bread of the words of Jesus and the Psalms, it just becomes the story you tell yourself eventually. So we're in that we're just, we're, we're way more malleable than we give ourselves credit for. And so you put something on the radio, you think it doesn't move you and it does. And, and so we're not robots, but we're not gods either. Maybe that's the distinction I really should make. I'm pushing at, you know, we're, we are creatures. Right. Right. And there's, and there is a song. I mean, there is a, there's a rhythm. So there's a way that these words become music within us. We, we have a, our, our, our our hearts are a space where there's can be an echo, you know. Oh, good, yeah, yeah. And so, so these things that we hear and the things that we sing and the things that we pray, they start to echo around in there. So, um, and, and this, so so this, you know, the the you are what you eat kind of business. That's right. Of, That's right. That's right. The eye is the lamp out. of the body. Eye is the lamp of the body. If it is dark, how great is that darkness? Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, thank you for just joining in here at the end of the day. Uh, you right go on. ahead and have a great Saturday afternoon. We'll see you in the future, everybody else. Thank you for tuning in the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Again, you can always support on Patreon at RevFisk. You can get the Mad Christian Mondays. It's newsletter you don't want to miss. Sign up at RevFisk.com slash newsletter you can also go to slash contact and send a message and a question for the show um, always try to get to those as best we can meanwhile i never want to forget to leave you certain that jesus christ is risen from the dead and because of that historical fact that you can do nothing about there's actually a great good news that is being spread throughout the entire world which is that his resurrection is light of light eternal given us a gift to sinful men who do not deserve it and now he is by via just these words to you, extending it to you as a guarantee, a pledge, a promise. Uh, if you haven't been baptized, he'll put you into it even more sure. If you haven't been baptized, make the sign of the cross and know that it's true as you do not wallow upon the dregs of the world with those who have no hope down in that muck. Yeah, but you lift up your head because the Lord says to you all the more as you see the day approaching. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?